This whole country just like my flock of sheep. We want to know what you intend to give away to the communists. He will bring destruction to our traditions. He looked in his heart and he thought in all humility how he'd like to try and change things. Rip off this city for a hundred grand? Yeah. It's, a, it's a groovy thing to do. I propose to demand from the House the immediate removal of the President of the United States. What about the corruption? What about the police you brutality? What about the oppression of the minority You're groups that this country is responsible? I am not immoral, Mrs. Jurgens. You want to know what's immoral? You want me to? You want me to tell you what's immoral? War is immoral. Poverty is immoral. Racism is immoral. Police brutality is immoral. Oppression is immoral. Genocide is immoral. Imperialism is immoral. This country represents all those things. When are we going to have love? When are we going to have brotherhood? Hello, and welcome to Decades Podcast. Hello. Uh, my name is Deb Kuykendall. I'm Nicole Westry. And I'm Jacob Kuykendall. And this is a podcast where we watch two movies, one from a previous decade and one from a more current, one more current, <laughs> more present day. Yeah. Uh, we are in the 70s. Mm-hmm. This is our second movie from the 70s. We have one more movie from the 70s to watch. What's the other one from the 70s? Uh, the one that's coming up is an Academy Award winning documentary about the Vietnam War called Hearts and Minds. Hmm. Uh, but I shouldn't tell you that until the end. That's oh, when we do bleep that. bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs> what did we watch for this episode? Please stick around for the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only listened to find out what you're all listening to the talk about next time. Right. Uh, for this episode, we watched, I thought, two pretty good movies, Yeah, actually. I think so, too. I enjoyed them both. Uh, lots of times we watch <laughs> two bad a movies. bad movie and an okay movie or a boring <laughs> movie and a bad movie. Um, we watched, for this episode, we watched a documentary, uh, I think it came out in 2014, called thought. 1971, which is about a burglary that occurred in 1971. Mm-hmm. And the old movie that we watched from 1971 uh, was called Punishment Park. Yeah, which was not a documentary, but was in documentary style. It was documentary style. It was cinema verite. Uh, is that what that means? That means true cinema. Oh. That's a style of documentary. I was oh. called it mockumentary. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, it was also a mockumentary. Um, it was it that. was sort of a alternate, uh, his, not alternate timeline of the U.S. because it took place in 1971 and was filmed in 1971, yeah. but the events that occurred in the movie didn't happen in 1971. Right, haven't happened yet. We're still sort of any day, <laughs> any day now, like you know. Man in the High Castle style. Yeah, although so close to real events yes. <laughs> that it was like just barely different. Plus, there were some real. It was based on real things, and yeah. there were some real. There was some voiceovers about real things happening in the world at the time. Right. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about why I put these two movies together because typically what we what we put together are two movies on a theme. Mm-hmm. Like you know, all the presidents met. Not all the president. Yeah, all the presidents men and uh, Mark felt yeah. were about Watergate and etc. The main crux for this particular episode was Punishment Park. I came across the movie Punishment Park when I was researching the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. And it was just sort of a, it was like a little rat hole that I went down about the McCarran Act, which mm-hmm. was the mm-hmm. act that they used to uh, deport Rosara Resvelta from America when she was filming Salt of the Earth. 
That was the that was what they the act that they relied on, I believe. Gotcha. Um, and it's led me to this movie, which uses the McCarran Act as the basis for the plot, basically. Yeah. Uh, the McCarran Act, if I understand it correctly, allows the President of the United States to basically declare, I don't know, not martial law exactly, but if they if he determines that some dissidents may commit acts of violence or may be inclined to commit acts of violence, um, they can be arrested, I guess. It's like the original version of the Patriot Act before before they went corporate. Isn't the, the Patriot Act came after the McCarran Oh, yeah, Act. way yeah. later. But, you know, it's like a sort of a similar vibe. So this movie imagines a scenario where the president uh, invokes the McCarran Act mm-hmm. to set up a certain system. Yeah. Um, and it was filmed in 1971, and the director's purpose was to sort of capture a certain, sort of the uh, the feelings that were going on in the country at that time, although he's a, he was a British man. He's not an American citizen. Oh, is that his voice? Yes, he's the, okay. he's the documentarian that you hear in the movie. Hmm. Anyway, so what I wanted to do was pair it with a movie that also showed how, what people were thinking and feeling in 1971, right? That worked. So, so the <laughs> modern right. the modern movie that we watched is was about some activists who broke into the FBI offices in Media, Pennsylvania, and stole all of the files and then distributed them to the, to, the to newspapers and to senators. Yeah. So we're gonna synopsize Punishment Park first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It, it should was, be easy. Well, it was a little hard to watch, actually. Yeah, yeah, a lot was... of the speeches that were made were like, oh, God, what, why? It's the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's, really, it's repetitive and a little disjointed. And... But it felt very relevant. Like, sure, sure. Yeah. I, it, in some ways, it felt like it could have been, not, even though it was in 1971, it could have been somebody filming it today doing a period piece about 1971, you know. Yeah, right. They had the costuming down, but the mm. language was... There was a lot of swearing, which kind of surprised me for a film from 1971. I don't know how... Well, I guess they were past the... Um, yeah, what about... Yeah, taxi drivers and whatnot around the 70s. Yeah. The Motion Picture Production Act was done away with in 1968, so we don't have that. I guess mm-hmm. if it was... I guess maybe it was just an R-rated movie. Yeah. I mean, it felt I mean, very there's R-rated. violence. Yeah, so. there's a lot of violence. <laughs> Not good. And also a lot of swearing. But yeah, the... The issues that the protesters are having with their government are the same issues that protesters have with their government right now. Yeah. Yeah. The conversations were hard to listen to. It was just mm. like reading Facebook, basically. <laughs> yeah. It was like looking well, at the less comments racist. on a Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Was it less racist? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> <is>. overtly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Punishment Park. It yeah. starts with, what's the first scene? Um, they're just driving through the desert with the prisoners in uh, the yeah mm-hmm. back of a truck. Yeah, so they have a truck full of herd. prisoners. All the prisoners are like between the ages of eighteen and twenty-five. Mm-hmm. You can tell from what they're wearing that they are not establishment people. <laughs> a lot of big beards and afros in that back of that truck. Yep, and denim shirts and bell-bottom pants and etc. Yeah. There's a voiceover about the act and you know, executive orders and the power of the president to sort of suspend things and declare, you know, punishment, punishment for, our... for crimes against, you know, violence of the country. And mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact phrasing of it, but basically it, inciting, right. you know, they're basically, they are discouraging dissidents. Dissidents? Dissent. Yeah. Dissent. Well, dissidents. Dissidents. 
both work. <laughs> so they're taking these people. A lot of them are saying they don't even know what they were arrested for. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at a poetry slam and somebody, picked, you know, the police broke in and, and then I was in all. jail for two months. And now they're taking me to this tribunal. Out in the desert. And the, <laughs> the format of the movie is it, it cuts between a, the tribunal where various dissidents are being questioned about their... Mostly they're beliefs. on trial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, I mean, they're they're being questioned about their platform, whatever their individual platform Their anti-American is. platform. Yeah. I mean, they're not being questioned about their acts. You very very few of them actually even find out, like, what, what they're being charged with. Be there. Yeah. It's more like, why do you hate America so much? Yeah. And then they tell you why. <laughs> yeah, right. They tell, they tell you what's <laughs> and up. And you give you a speech about why. So it cuts between that and, and the people who have... So basically, they get a choice uh, after they've... After they've spoken their piece, mm-hmm. the the tribunal gives each one of them a, a choice, and they're in they're in lots like lot seventy six. Yeah, it's like ten people at a time. Right. So we're following. I think we see like three different specific lots. I think we're introduced at the beginning to six thirty eight, mm-hmm. and they're the ones who are about to go before the tribunal, and then in Punishment Park is six thirty seven, who have all just been uh, sentenced. Right. Yeah. Right. So the ones in Punishment Park are initially told what the rules for Punishment Park are. Basically, mm-hmm. they have three and a half days, I believe, yeah. to run 50 miles or so through a desert to reach an American flag. And I think you began to say that the reason they're in Punishment Park is because after they're found guilty by the tribunal, they're sentenced to penitentiary and they're given a choice do you want to go to the penitentiary or do you want to go to punishment park for four days and so all of them have elected to instead of you know going to prison go to this for seven this, to ten years. this thing that sounds yeah. so fun this park yeah go to the park or you or penitentiary for five to years life yeah penitentiary and they all choose the park yeah they all choose the park uh then they're given the rules of the park uh which is that they can you know they run through the park for a certain mm-hmm. set amount of time if they reach the american flag then they are free it's the same premise as the running man exactly <laughs> it really is yeah, but the running man came out like in the 90s yeah right? right and it's based on a book and yada 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 but i'm still <laughs> saying the premise of the movie is still the running man right and there are other movies like that i mean yeah the premise of this Games. movie right it's like poor people or the downtrodden yeah. get to fight for their lives while being pursued by authority right yeah yeah so they get a head start by two hours hour head start and then the national there's a whole like force that's made up of national guard reservists and and local sheriffs and u.s marshals yeah who are sort of all hunting them (laughs) afterwards and then there's an interlude where so there are two there's one main leader of the uh of the national guard riot police group Mm -hmm. uh who is pretty hardcore mm-hmm. and we get to see him for about 15 minutes telling telling his group what different types of guns are good for and he's like a will... local sheriff yeah so so you know he starts with a handgun and he says i like this handgun because it will stop a rhinoceros not that we're gonna see any rhinoceri out here <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he shows them a, a shotgun that will do scatter shot etc etc and then yeah. there's another character who is a sniper Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he prefers marksman. Yeah, he's a marksman. <laughs> yeah, you're right. the The documentarian asks him uh, if he's a sniper, and he says, "I'm a marksman." He said, "So you're a sniper?" And he says, "No, I'm a marksman." <laughs> yeah. So we get introduced to the various characters in the two different groups, and the dissident group has um, the running people. There's a married couple. Mm-hmm. There's a, a poet. A poet. 
There's an African-American man. There's an African-American woman. They're both... Well, one of them is from the People's Coalition or something. It, it sounds like They're sort of... They're all from MADEUP. Yeah, it sounds like, like an analogous kind of groups. Black Panther sort of group from the way that Although, at least the bad guys describe yeah, it. Maybe. I mean, yeah, a lot of say. the people at the tribunal, when they are asked, are all pacifists. Which, yeah, right. You know, so not Black Panthers. But, no. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure there would be some Black Panthers mixed in there. Yeah. Uh, there's also... Two Latinx characters. Yes, that, that's what I was reaching for. There were two Latinx characters. They're the first ones that get captured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they start running. Yeah. I mean, and we also should mention that this is in the middle of the desert, and it is 105 to 115 degrees during the day, 75 at night. They aren't given water. Mm -hmm. Um, They're told that at the halfway point, they'll find water as sort of like a motivational technique. They're told that if at any time the guards catch them, then they've lost and they have to surrender, and that they'll be taken peacefully unless they choose not to be taken peacefully. Um, otherwise, yeah, everything will be totally fair, you guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and yeah. right at the outset, four people decide that they're going to try to escape. And mm-hmm. so they break off from the group, and then the larger group continues on its way. Yeah. And the larger group is really worried about those who want to escape because they're afraid that if any violence occurs, it'll come down on them later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a few of them. I think it's the group that tries to escape. They, they find an abandoned building early on, and it's mm-hmm. like, we're going to wait here and when the... If somebody shows up, we're going to get them. Yep, and then and they, they talk about car. they talk about how they're going to get them. And the, the, hit them with a stick. The uh, African-American woman volunteers to be the one that is a decoy, is a decoy mm-hmm. for whoever may discover them. Yeah, and relatively early on. You don't see the the like altercation, but you see the documentary, documentarians come on, you know, a bunch of the sheriffs and National Guard. There's... Some policeman has been killed and their gun and their car has been taken, it seems like. Which was really weird because weird. if the car had been taken, I don't know how those guys just didn't get away. Right. I just like, felt like they'd drive away. But Right. It seems like they didn't get Yeah. Didn't it seems like it like play. like it went in circles and then they decided not to use it. I don't know. It was weird. It was a little weird. Um, but that's like from the outset, it's like, oh, yeah, the, it immediately escalates to, to violence and the National Guard are ready to shoot anybody they come across at that point yeah. yeah meanwhile back at the tribunal they're like going through they are questioning people one by one so mm-hmm. uh in terms of the movie you get to see each person in the group describe why you know what their problem is with america mm-hmm. and you get to see the tribunal ignore all of those <laughs> reasons and make up their own yeah yeah basically <laughs> basically say you're unpatriotic you're yeah. an american why do you why do you want to have us work and support you while you go have orgies and never do anything and take lsd yeah, yeah take lsd and it was, it was yeah just straw man after straw man right and so basically yeah. the dissidents are saying you know you know what's immoral is poverty and what's immoral is war and what's immoral is racism and what's immoral mm-hmm. is uh, you know, genocide genocide and, <laughs> and etc and meanwhile, the people behind the table listening to them are saying, well, you're just, you're bad because you're un-American. Yeah, that, that yeah. the immoral activity is really speaking out against, you know, your government and yeah. mm-hmm. swearing is really on their no list. It's very immoral. Um, They're corrupting the children. Please keep, won't someone think of the children. They keep referring to, don't you, you know, there's stuff going on in Vietnam and Indochina and we need this. We need the support that you're sapping away from the people, yeah, and you're not 
drafted. You're not you're not being part of the draft. They're full on. We have to fight them over there, so we don't have to fight them over yeah. here. That's kind of the counter argument that you mm-hmm. get mostly through the movie. Yeah, and and one of the dissidents is sort of like, who who told you that? Right. And the guy's like, what? I hear it all the time. And he's like, right. Who told you that? Are you not questioning this at all? And there's just sort of this pause and awkward tension. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that's the movie. Well, so, so violence erupts. <laughs> they keep running. Uh, people get killed intermittently throughout mm-hmm. the, well, the two Mexican, the two Latinx characters referred to as Mexican in the movie are the first ones captured. And the documentarian, for some reason, asks the other dissidents if they think they were captured because they were Mexican, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is interesting, but I don't know what that what meant. That meant, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some stuff kind of left hanging in this movie. Yeah, there's also some really heavy-handed stuff that I think if this mm-hmm. would made these days would be filmed a little more subtly. Hope but so. they're just like, Here, here's the answer. <laughs> here's what's going on. Yeah. And so, um, and I think it's the husband is the one who is... It becomes increasingly weaker. Is it the husband or the no, poet? No, it's the poet. I it's think poet. so. One of their one of their group that's running, not the group that intends to fight. One of their members is much weaker than all the rest, and mm-hmm. basically starts to deteriorate. Quite He's suffering rapidly. from dehydration. Yeah, but yeah. they should. They are all suffering yeah. from dehydration. He's just showing signs of it much more rapidly. Uh, but they keep dragging him along. I mean, kind of. I mean, between all the scenes of the tribunal. Various members of this group were following. They kind of break off and have different strategies. So the They're getting w- more and more desperate. Yeah. So some of them are like, we're going to push ahead. The two that had attacked the officer have like a gun and they're like, we're going to hide in here. We're going to try and get somebody. Some of them are like, well, we're going to run as fast as we can to get to the end. But if we get caught, we're just going to surrender. Like they all kind and, and you get little interviews with them throughout this process of like kind of where they're head is at in terms of this i don't know competition however you want to describe it what they're doing in punishment park well and while the tribunal is questioning people and they're the dissidents keep saying um more and more like you know you're the ones pushing this violence you're the ones who are being behaving immorally and that's sort of intercut with the police getting more and more angry and then the desperation of the people who are running becoming more like willing to act violently mm-hmm. in response to being hunted yeah basically and towards the you know towards the end i guess towards the third act of this movie there's a scene where the a group of the punishment part people basically get caught by a guy one of the national guard guys with a rifle who's mm-hmm. being filmed and he's telling them to stop and sit down but they can't hear him i think he was the sniper yeah, right I think it was the sniper oh, was that the sniper mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah and the the crew the film crews there obviously they're they're everywhere, everywhere all the time. <laughs> yeah, and so he's telling them the people, the group that he is, that the sniper is capturing. He's like, yeah, he's like above them on a on a ridge, and they are walking slowly towards him with their, their hands, hands behind up. their heads. Yeah, and he keeps yelling at them to stop and sit down, and the documentarian keeps telling the sniper, "I don't think they can hear you." Yeah, you need to relax. Planes keep going you. by. Like I think they're near yeah. some military zone. Yeah, yeah you throughout hear, the movie, you hear jets flying over quite frequently. Yeah, um, and they just keep walking forward, and eventually he shoots one of the uh, punishment mm-hmm. park folks, and the other guys rush him. I think it's to... the poet that yeah. he shoots. Mm. Yeah, and the other guys rush him and try and take his gun. And they and do. They, and they do. Um, but that's kind of how this movie, like, that's kind of the progression of this movie is that the National Guard and the police are getting more and more violent and agitated 
and the people in the park are getting more desperate um, and they're not really able to. There's really no way for them to surrender even when they try. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, midway through when they reach the place where the water's supposed to be, there's no water there. Yeah. So then, and they're like 27 miles still yeah, uh, the to go point. in the desert. So that's that's what's going on in the park. And then we're splicing that with scenes kind of interviewing at the tribunal of each of these individuals, how they're responding to questions. The other group. The other a, group. A different group of individuals. Mm-hmm. There is a scene in, uh, so one of the one of the people in the other group, an African-American man, is bound and gagged. And that is... Uh, reflective of something that happened at the trial of the Chicago Seven, mm-hmm. they separated one of the the African American man. They separated him from the rest of the group and put him on trial separately and gagged him and bound him during mm. this trial. Okay. Uh, his name was Bobby Seal. That's sort of a I'm not going to say it's an homage to that. Sure, it's just it's which, referential. Yeah, and it yeah. was something that had happened three two two years earlier in 1969 when they when the Chicago Seven were on trial. Gotcha. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about that that I'm pretty sure was a statement was when they, at the end of the movie, when they sentenced all of the, the mm-hmm. second group, mm-hmm. the, all of the white people mm-hmm. got like seven to 10 years, yep. but the African-American man that was bound and gagged and could not actually answer any questions was given life. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, yeah, that's right. Which is very much. Uh, checks out. Yeah, it checks out. <laughs> yeah. The math works out on that. And then at the end of the movie, four of them have, basically made it to the finish line and they see the flag and then as they get closer there's just this wall of you know eight of the officers waiting for them and so it's sort of like they never really had a chance there wasn't going right. to ever be right. freedom that they could sort of in that win. way it was kind of like twilight zone or mm-hmm. star trek or something they were just yeah. yeah they were just being played with they were being you know toyed with and experimented on basically and so they sort of try to surrender and then sort of get desperate and just want to run towards the flag because I think they really think if they touch the flag that yeah, they're free they, even they, though they're clearly not going to be right. let go and so they start getting beat by the officers and I think they all die right everybody yeah, dies it's so. just it's not a happy movie and the di- and the documentarian as he's watching this is getting oh he's freaking out he's I mean saying, every time the yeah. violence erupts they're screaming at the officers you know but by the end he's saying I'm filming you we are going to be on TV this is going to be on NBC be yeah on NBC. and they the and officers like, don't care yeah I've been on TV before that's yeah. fine and I think it's really representative of the lack of accountability and punishment right. <laughs> that there ever is or consequences at all. I think, you know, um, maybe one thing to mention is that although you hear the documentarian's voice and you know there's a film crew, uh, you do see one member of the crew because he gets... Sort of, but from a distance. He gets kidnapped. He gets held hostage. He's an, he's an East German, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> an East German cameraman gets uh, held hostage by some of the dissidents. Who are like trying the office. The ones that have the gun. Yeah, yeah. the ones who killed the first officer because they're trying to sort of escape in fact that's at the point that those that they all get killed mm-hmm. the sharpshooter i think oh no no no, no. different the lead sheriff yeah. he mm-hmm. shoots the person holding the gun and then the african-american woman who was part of that group runs and then she's shot and killed yeah yeah there's another scene where part of the group is trying to surrender but you know they're angry about it and so they start throwing rocks at some of the National Guard who are approaching them. Oh, and one an, of them... That's an interest. That's an important scene. One of them yeah. shoots, begins to shoot, and then they're all sort of massacred at that point. And the cameraman, 
the interviewer just starts sort of berating him and he's like why would you shoot why would you shoot and, and he's sort of the other thing is you can see the char- the person the actor mm-hmm. who's playing that character is probably about 18 yeah, years old and really looks like young. a little boy yeah and he's clearly traumatized by what's happened and he keeps saying over and over it was an accident it was an accident i didn't want to kill anyone they were throwing rocks at us i didn't yeah. want to kill anyone and yeah and all the surrounding officers are like whatever it's no big deal like he'd leave him alone you know they were coming at us and also probably just thinking of things that we should probably mention uh right towards the beginning of the film when they're doing the opening narration there's a little description of a senator who's just resigned because Mm -hmm. he and he's kind of setting out like there's a senator he's resigning from the senate because of all the events happening um and he says you know there's punishment park these punishment parks opening up in various places in the u.s and the they're unconstitutional yeah the way that people's liberties are being stripped away i can't be a senator anymore the other thing that we didn't mention is that it, they don't mention it at the beginning, but at some point in the middle, they they explain that because they have been arresting so many people, the the prisons are just overflowing. They don't mm-hmm. have enough room yeah. for people. I mean, they're going through those dry brunals pretty quickly, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, once they get to them, they have like a two-month waiting period, I guess, <laughs> up to that. But. Yeah. Oh, and also they all have a defense attorney. He's representing, he's one guy representing all of them, but, you know, it's a formality. Like, every motion he makes is denied. Everything yep. he says is ignored. They're all clearly being found guilty immediately. And, right. And, and they don't really have a prosecutor. It's just the judge. No, it's just the tribunal, the chairman. Yeah. Right. And the the defense attorney basically says, well, you're violating their... The first, the, the fourth, 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 fifth, fourteenth. Amendments <laughs> or what have you. But they yeah. don't care. And, and that's Punishment Park. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a, it's a real uplifting movie, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little depressing. I'm mean, part of it is nothing's changed. The, pe- mm-hmm. they, the people who are giving the speeches about why they why they are they didn't even say they didn't like America. They're just saying well, some of them said I believe in this country. I yeah, they kept saying we represent the people, not the government, because the yeah. government isn't supporting the people. Right. right. Yeah, and some you know there's like a speech where it's somebody saying it. You know, I if there's times where it'd be honorable to be a president or a policeman, but at this time it's honorable to be a criminal. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. In fact, I wrote that down. Right now, I think the honorable thing to do is to be a criminal. Yeah. Uh, and then one one of the other people in that group had said, violence is the only thing that will command your attention. Right. And so that is why he he is taking violent action. So some of them were violent, but a, whole, a lot of them were just were pacifists. And mm-hmm. the uh, tribunal at one point makes fun of somebody they had interviewed earlier who was a pacifist and who would not kill a spider yeah no a fly he wouldn't kill a fly he would catch it in a cup cup and let it go outside he literally wouldn't hurt a fly (laughs) well and you know like one of the gals who was on trial was on trial for making music right that was (laughs) apparently seditious and you know it was just her just saying she did swear a lot yeah no it's really (laughs) awful it was rude yeah that one housewife lady was really upset about it Mm mm-hmm it, it up to the point that she said crap i know but she was forced to say crap yeah she said her back was against the wall yeah so one of the things i wanted to highlight i think it was the documentarian that said it had he made a comment something to the effect of i see a running paranoia in these kids and that really overlaps with the mm-hmm. other movie mm-hmm. quite right. a bit because the other movie the ni- 1971 the documentary about the burglary basically highlighted that the government was in fact in 1971 specifically trying to make people feel paranoid yeah it was infiltrating not the government well yes the government yes, yes the, the government, government. <laughs> a specific a specific Branch. 
arm of it, the FBI. Yeah, and they were trying to infiltrate protest groups and get information on them and send them, you know, confusing information and all that stuff. So should we talk about that movie then? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess we should probably say how we felt about Punishment Park as a movie. I thought it was depressing. It was depressing. I mean, it was a good, it was a quality movie. Yeah. Um, One thing I wanted to link it to several of the other movies that we've watched because it was, it had some things in common, very obvious things in common with Medium Cool. Yep. In that it was filmed documentary style. Yeah. uh, But there was also sort of a juxtaposition of the people filming being part of the movie Mm -hmm. some of the time. Right. In in, um, Punishment Park, that was like constant, but in Medium Cool, it was sort of something you you were brought into and out of. And also there's the sort of real footage from Medium Cool, and then in this one, the real clips of you know, what was happening with the military at the time, the like radio clips right, of the, the bombings. O- the voiceovers. Of what was going on in Vietnam. The other thing this movie had in common with that, and all, and I, I also kind of linked it to Primary, which was a documentary we watched about the 1962 Democratic uh, presidential campaign mm-hmm. with, with Kennedy and I can never remember the other guy's name. Some guy. Some guy. I think he was the nominee for the mm-hmm. Democratic Party also in 1970, uh, 1968, <laughs> but still, I can't remember his name, and he was never president. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there, that was an early documentary that sort of had a sort of a montage sort of feel to it, mm-hmm. as did both Medium Cool and this movie. Oh, and Borderline. So Borderline, I think, maybe was the third movie that we watched this season. It was from 1930. It was in black and white. It was a silent film, and it really was just like pictures it was the one that we watched with loving and it was just kind of, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, images. The artistic one. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was, it was sort of a collage of video. Um, and then, uh, it also had, had some things in common with salt of the earth, which also. Yeah. I definitely felt that mostly because of the setting. It was just, it was a mm-hmm. desert with protesters and stuff. <laughs> the desperation. Yeah. Right. And also the salt of the earth used the actual miners as the actors in the movie. There was like only one or two actual actors. Mm-hmm. And the rest were actual miners from that from the strike that they were sort of basing their story on. Mm-hmm. This movie, they used amateur actors, and there was a lot of all I can think of is pantomime. That's not the word improv I'm for improv. Yes, yeah. there was it was improvised quite a bit, and I think there was some. I, I think I read something about how the people that were the conservatives were conservatives, and the people that were. So that I mean, it felt a little authentic. So yeah. yeah, that it was improv, but they got people whose political views aligned Matched with up. the characters they were playing. Right. Yeah, it almost felt um, Stanford Prison Experiment esque. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, where like you put these people in the roles, and they really just they just really went for out. their roles. Yeah. yeah, like when they were in power, it was sort of like restrain anybody in the tribunal um <laughs> would you know always ask the officers to restrain that the was, defendants to me, that was the most disturbing part yeah. of that movie was them restraining that one well i mean all of them like well i felt like they were really oh doing sure it, and he was in real danger of being suffocated yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean but the thing was that they were already in cuffs and you know they couldn't they were cuffed to their chairs they couldn't move yeah, and yet anytime anything. they said anything antagonistic it was restrain them and it was like yeah what <laughs> based down. on what yeah so it was yeah just uh, just this abuse of their power yeah at that point this yep. movie when it was released it was a british filmmaker and that got a lot of pushback right there because pe- americans were upset that a british filmmaker would How make dare they make a movie about america mm-hmm. uh, uh during a time of crisis in america yeah mm-hmm. where's um, my american spider-man <laughs> 
but his what he wanted to stimulate conversation which he did because people really didn't like what they were looking at <laughs> sure so it wasn't uh, american distributors wouldn't distribute it so i don't know at what point it got any kind of wide wide i never heard of it <laughs> play here yeah i know that uh from a podcast i listened to and i can't remember which one one of the organizers of the wall street sit-in which has a name occupy occupy wall street he wanted to show this movie to the people that were occupying wall hmm. street uh but they kept saying that his equipment was a weapon so he he had to sneak <laughs> it in oh my god and then when he actually got around to the point where he was going to show the movie some celebrity showed up and sort of Thanks, the, Lena the, Dunham. I yeah. don't know. I don't, I don't know remember which celebrity it was. But <laughs> some celebrity decided to make a, make a show. Bale or whoever. <laughs> right. Robert De Niro. I mean, I thought it was good. Um, it was a little bit repetitive and slow in parts, as movies from the 70s can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked it. And I also, it is still very timely. And, yeah. and also as a premise for a movie, I was like, this is a good story. They could do this again. They could do something with this. I did not watch The Purge, but I did read an article that, Let's compared, watch the purge. that, that compared this movie to The Purge in, in theme. Hmm. Sure. Well, I heard that they're going to make like a, a final purge that's going to sort of wrap it all up. Really? Yeah. I mean, so, there's a TV show right now. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to... I haven't. I, I've only seen the second one, which I've it? heard is the worst one. Hmm. Um, so I don't have strong feelings about <laughs> The Purge movies in general, but I've heard that they're there's a better message to them than I might be aware of. That's what I've heard as well. Yeah. So basically what the article said was that the message of this movie is basically marginalized people being hounded by an authoritarian government. And yeah. that, that is also the theme of the mm-hmm. purge because the people that get hurt during the purge are the disenfranchised right. and the poor and people who can't, who don't have the resources to avoid the avoid, consequences, avoid the purge. Yeah. Yep. And that they're hunted by people with resources. Yeah, that's right. You want to talk about 1971? Sure. Sure. I have some notes on this one. Good. Okay. Do you want to summarize it? I can do my best. I've watched it pretty recently. Sure. Uh, So this is 2014. It's a documentary from, I think, PBS Films, if I got that right. Or it was published. It was originally shown on PBS. Uh, It follows and mostly is built around a series of interviews with a group of activists in 1971 who broke into an FBI office in Media, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Uh, and stole... All of the files. Stole a lot of files. They stole every file in the office with the exception of some some files that were stored in a small safe. And they published... They sent them to um, senators and journalists to publish information. And through this, this eventually led to information about how the FBI... A big scandal for the FBI about how they were infiltrating and com- surveilling, surveilling, and well, and directly impact, like attacking, and also breaking into people's homes and yeah, directly harassing uh, what they called the new left, but basically left-leaning organizations. Basically, the same people that were running around in, in Punishment Park, right? Whichever groups uh, you you were so inclined, they they were inclined to. They were up to all kinds of stuff, and this led to the FBI getting in a major scandal and getting in a lot of trouble. So this overlaps with Mark Felt, actually. Uh, Because (laughs) this this event led eventually in 1978 to Mark Felt being convicted of conspiring to violate American civil rights. The very ending of Mark Felt, the epilogue of Mark Felt. Right. This this started that. 
which makes sense. So the beginning of this of 1971, they kind of lay the context for what was happening in the lead up to 71. For these people. For, for these the people, people. who were For the people who came together to do this action. So there's been a draft, Vietnam. There's been several massacres of American and Vietnamese civilians. There was American of, soldiers and Vietnamese civilians. There was all of 1968 yes. happened. <laughs> uh, assassination of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. I thought Bobby that was Kennedy. really interesting. Like, that's sort of how they opened the movie, was giving this list of all the things that were sort of simmering, at, you know, in the country at the time. And it felt sort of like, yeah, I can make a list like that, you know. <laughs> right, yep. <laughs> Just in the past six months, like, let alone three years. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of bad and crazy things were happening. The... The Kent State Massacre was around here mm-hmm. as well, because I think that gets name-checked. Definitely did in Punishment Park as well. Mm-hmm. And then they... Well, then it definitely did, because Punishment Park was filmed in mm-hmm. 1971. Right. So it <laughs> I think already both happened. movies refer to it. Um, and then we are introduced to this real-life group of uh, people who are political activists, some of whom are already engaged in... Um, I think they all were mm-hmm. non. Uh, I was gonna say non-violent but direct action. Right. So um, the the guy who actually organized the whole thing, and I think his last name is Davidoff. I can't remember his name. It is definitely somebody's name oh, in this. Bill. Bill. It was Bill. Bill yeah. was yeah. Bill was the ringleader. He was the ringleader. He, he was a professor, right? Yes. A couple of them were, I think. Professor now or at the at the, t- one t- of the them, time. Okay. Yeah. The, a couple of them worked at Harvard, I think. No. One no. of them is a professor. He was in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah, they're in Pennsylvania, yeah. so that doesn't make sense. <laughs> One of them in the epilogue is a professor of theology at Temple University, which I thought was interesting. No. He's probably the Catholic no. guy. Uh, well, Davidoff was not Catholic, but he did participate. So at the time, I think, if I remember this correctly, the Pope actually told Catholics in America that they should resist the Vietnam War. Hmm. Uh, there were some hey, cardinals. Good way to go. There were some cardinals in America who were like, no, no, thanks, Pope. That's <laughs> yeah. shocking. Come on, <laughs> shocking. Um, but so there were Catholic dissidents, specifically, you know, like organized. And one of the things that they did was go into draft boards, draft board buildings, wherever they were located, and they would take all the paperwork and mm-hmm. burn it. And if you yeah. burned it, they, they weren't computers that ended that paper trail. Yeah, they explained that in the movie, which I thought was pretty which is cool. awesome. Yeah, which is like, that's that's I didn't they know just any have the original. That. So if it's gone, that's it. They have to start over, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't know how they do that. So we're introduced to this group. It's actually the movie's only eighty minutes long, and it is very focused, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, it's and it jumps between interviews with the people involved today or when this movie was made. And reenactments of what they were doing in 1971. And the, the guy they had to reenact the uh, lockpick <laughs> guy was a really close match. Yeah. That, except his glasses a, were a little too big. Some good people. But I liked that they used the reenactments sparingly. So it wasn't like it wasn't crazy. joking, you know, sort of comedic no, it's, weirdness. It's not. It was good. I really liked this movie a lot. Yeah. It was really well done. I'm trying to remember exactly how they get started because they're trying to escalate their direct action right so basically davidoff got them all together and said do you want to do this with me yeah he it was his idea um and he was a really prominent activist he was really in the eye of well the fbi Mm -hmm. too um and he had been actually before this i think or maybe even while this was happening he had been accused with some other people some people from the catholic dissident group of conspiring to kidnap henry kissinger Whoa! Awesome. <laughs> and so, at some point, he and these other people who were accused of it, they actually went and they had a meeting with Henry Kissinger, and they tried to convince him that you know we do this, 
we are doing this because we shouldn't be in this war and you know yeah you shouldn't try to squash dissent and henry kissinger just kind of laughed it off and said you guys are smart but i'm smarter or whatever it was (laughs) whatever his response was uh, which I thought was really, I got that piece of information from the book. So mm-hmm. basically the book, there's a book that came out about the same time. It's called The Burglary, I believe. Came out about the same time as this documentary. And the and the woman who wrote the book is the journalist to whom the papers were sent to at the Post. She was mm. the journalist who worked at the Post at the time in 1971. And she they sent them to her because they trusted her. Uh, because she was, I'm guessing she was, her writing was sympathetic. And you see her in the movie in the 1971 movie she's like a great old old granny now but she mm-hmm. talks about getting the papers and the first things that she saw in those papers which betty. they did too yeah betty medsker so the the first act of this movie let's say the first third is setting up who each of the people involved in this were yeah uh, and kind of where they were coming from what led them to this action so there was like the one guy who had traveled down to the south to a freedom rider freedom writer and he'd gotten beaten up as a result and kind of saw the violence down there there were several of them who were involved in protests and had recognized that like there are obviously government agents acting agent provocateurs yes acting undercover to try and agitate (laughs) agitate and cause violence um Mm -hmm. and so we're all very worried about this and that i think is kind of what leads them to deciding they're going to try and go after the fbi yeah i think that they all believe that the fbi is creating files on them that they're right. watching them right they investigate they them. believed that the fbi was doing illegal things mm-hmm. but they could was just it. a belief and they didn't have any proof of it so then they start as a group start casing various fbi offices and they find this one in media which is, sounds like a small town i don't know the that city very well or in particular um but they find it they think well this one seems like it's might be possible but we need to get someone inside to scope out what their security measures are and they spent months doing this mm-hmm. by the way yeah and they're driving around one of them was and... a cab driver so right. it was easy for them to sort of use his guy. uh right. his day job as a way to scope out the building and and he also had uh he he was the one he he was mechanically inclined and so he said i'll be the lockpick guy and he went was that to the... keith keith yes i yeah. think so he went to the library and found, oh, you can get books on mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Oh, and if I, you know, sign up with this group, I can join the locksmith. Uh, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And he makes his own set of lockpicks and kind of teaches himself how to do it. Yeah. Uh, there's also, there's a married couple with two kids. They set out pretty early that, like, in this group that's been brought together, there's kind of like an older group and a younger group. And they're all, some of them are a little suspicious of each other because they're worried, like, well, if any one of us breaks off uh they could rat us all out and they emphasize that they start out with nine people in the group yeah and that only eight of them go through with it right which comes uh, back later which, yeah it which does. causes a problem later <laughs> uh but they find the place they're gonna go and then bonnie who i think is the married woman yeah she's the wife she poses as a student because she looks young uh, who's going to interview the head of that local office about the opportunities for women in the FBI so she can go and case it from the inside and look for security, uh, which she does and finds there's whole, not a whole lot of security. A <laughs> whole lot of nothing. Yeah. No and locks. Keith also <laughs> checks out the front door, which only has a very basic lock on it. Yeah. And uh, she, when she's there, she sees that there's a back door as well, but it has a big filing cabinet in front of it. That's right. So she scopes it out. 
leaves and they start drawing up plans. And she's wearing gloves the whole time. That she's, she's wearing uh, no she's wearing glasses oh no she's wearing gloves she's sure. wearing gloves too yeah. okay. she's wearing leather gloves, gloves when glasses she, and a big hat when she shakes hands with him <laughs> she is wearing gloves uh and in the book uh there's a point later after they do what they are going to do mm-hmm. where she starts to question whether she took her gloves mm-hmm. off or not and yeah. it starts to give her like panic attacks oh, that... gotcha so then they put together the plan. It's basically, it's like an Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. heist, right? <laughs> so they put together the plan and we watched it go into action. Right. The plan is for Keith to go unlock the door, then call them and let them know the door has been unlocked. And then they are going to bring these big suitcases in. And the, the office is in an apartment building. So there's people that live there. So they figure yes. they can wander around looking like people going to the airport who live in that building. That's their plan. And part of why they, part of the ups and downs of this place is it's across the street from the uh courthouse uh so they have to be really careful because there's going to be a security guard at least around but it also has a big lobby in front so they can all go inside the lobby and just walk into the building after it's unlocked and the night that they pick is um the night (laughs) of the first ollie fraser fight yes um, because they figure it's going to be so hyped up that everyone (laughs) will be be paying attention to this and that uh so some things i learned about the ollie fraser fight in researching this it wasn't broadcast. No. It was closed captioned. You could see it close if you circuit. went to no oh, closed circuit. You could see it if you went to specific locations, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or if you were not in America, mm-hmm. or if you were at the fight. Yes. And so, otherwise, it was just on the radio. Yeah. Otherwise, you were radio only, and so people were and people were just hyped up about it. And one of the other yes. things about that fight is that Frazier was I'm not going to say pro war. Frazier was for the war. And Ali, obviously, was against the war. So that was another aspect to that fight that made it even more dramatic. Um, And so I have, I I bought a Life magazine that covers that (laughs) fight. It's from March 1971. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned, I think it must have been in the book, was that uh, Frank Sinatra really wanted to go to that fight, but he didn't have tickets. And so he asked Life magazine to give him ticket give him some of their tickets to go. (laughs) And they said, well, we will give you a ticket to go to this fight if you take pictures. So if you look at the magazine, <laughs> the article about the fight is written by Norman Mailer with photographs by Frank Sinatra. <laughs> That's I mean, awesome. how were the photos? <laughs> the cover photo is Are a they photo good? that Frank Sinatra right. took. Actually, he, now I remember now, he, he got his equipment and then he found somebody to instruct him in like a 30 okay. minute instruction <laughs> oh, section. Yeah, I was like, mm, that was a real risk on their part. <laughs> yeah. Like blurry photos coming back or like three photos coming back and then you watch the rest <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, but fight. Frank Sinatra took them. So that's, that's, that's true. But... <laughs> uh, so Keith goes in ahead of time. He finds that the front door lock. Well, I'm sorry. Somebody drops out of their crew. Yes. And decides which is, they're not. But they don't ever silent. name the person, do no, they? they don't. No, they don't. They don't in the book either. Mm-mm. Somebody drops out, but they decide to go forward. I mean, the, things happened. I mean, it was pretty close to when they were going to do it. So yeah. it was sort of like, no. And they go and meet with this person and say, hey, don't rat us out, basically. <laughs> hey, we're going to do this. Don't tell anyone. The Keith goes up ahead and he finds that the front door lock has been changed. He thinks from a simple door lock a to new, a A second lock, lock was added. Oh, was that? It was a yeah. second one on top of the original. Yep. Uh, and so he's trying to decide, did I screw up and not notice this the first time or did they get wind of us Mm -hmm. and change the lock and he calls ahead and they say well try it any do what you can uh so he goes to the back door which has the filing cabinet unlocks it with his lock picks it also has a deadbolt i believe yes he didn't know there was a deadbolt he he pries it with a pry bar right i i think this also was from the book is that he 
he knew he could like just snap it, but it was going to make a loud noise and he just made a decision you know, maybe one loud noise isn't gonna isn't going to disturb anyone, and so, so he just snaps the deadbolt. Well, in he the waits. Documentary, yeah, he waits, <laughs> he waits for the crowd to swell during the fight because <laughs> he can hear the landlord under downstairs listening to the fight, and so he's waiting for crowd cheering noises and stuff so that he can make noise. So he snaps the deadbolt, and then he uses like a pry bar, basically under the door, to lift the filing cabinet. And he just uses a, some kind of he uses it. a car jack. Yeah, I don't. I, it was hard to tell in the movie what yeah. exactly was going on there. He's just kind I of wiggling it away from the door, inch by inch. He was using a car jack in you know that's what's described in the book, and that he yeah. used his legs and a car jack to slowly inch the filing cabinet, which probably weighed several hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, and he wiggles it until he can get in through the crack in the door goes on goes and unlocks the front door and then calls and leaves calls his team and leaves and then they come in all of them all at once in like overcoats and a suitcase and just take all the files they just open all the drawers and empty them all in suitcases and leave um they go they drive to a remote like a farmhouse or something and then they they immediately start looking at the papers again with all gloves gloves on on. (laughs) With, with gloves they don't want to fingerprints on anything and then they start making they send i forget how well, they a couple pages with, at first they almost pretty quickly find yeah. something that says they've been spying on that they've been yeah. spying and also tr- trying to ramp up people's paranoia and mm-hmm. trying to get people to believe that there's an fbi agent behind every mailbox yes literally that's what they and i think at first they send it to the two senators they send it to one. they McGovern. send it to reporters and the senators. McGovern was one of the senators they sent to, and I can't remember who the other one was. And the ne- two senators really? are like, "We don't like this. This shouldn't be going on." Basically, but also here's your files back, FBI, yeah. because clearly it's illegal. Pretty much, yeah. all of the reporters them. and senators give the files immediately back to the FBI. Yeah, so they send it at least that we know of to the Washington Post, the New York Times, mm. and the New York branch of the LA Times. And both the New York Times and the LA Times turn the papers back over to the FBI. Stupid New York as, Times. As do the senators. So the Washington Post is the only group that still has the papers. And this is prior to the Pentagon Papers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they well they call the FBI first to authenticate them and say like is this your stuff and the fbi is very quickly like yep it's our stuff so you should give it back (laughs) back. Um, and that's when they're like hmm what if we didn't because this (laughs) is important stuff yeah um and then and the reporter that they sent them to was i know we said her name a minute betty medsker and the reason they had sent them to her is because i believe uh, her beat was like religion and education, but as mm-hmm. as things had progressed during the Vietnam War and with all of the um, activist activities, she, her role as the religion writer had more and more caused her to write about the FBI and uh, the government and how the, you know, because there were the Catholic activists, she would have been writing about that and the, she would have been writing about the Pope saying, you guys shouldn't support this war, etc. Right. And so... They've found her to be sympathetic. I know, I, I don't know that whether they knew her personally or not, but I do know that later, like in the 80s, they definitely personally knew her and she did not know who they were. Mm-hmm. At least some of them personally knew her. Okay. So I think probably they personally knew her in the 70s as well. Gotcha. Um, and then pretty much from this point on, it, you follow the escalation of they are journalists and then Congress are getting more 
invested in what the FBI was doing. J. Edgar Hoover loses his mind. <laughs> yes. And also, <laughs> the FBI, the whole East Coast is now set on finding the burglars. Yeah, they send like 150 agents to Pennsylvania to figure out w- who these people are. And, and they, do re- they do realize that the woman who posed as a student and went to the office probably was involved. But in they, case in the joint. They never got her name. No. Uh, they really didn't know what she looked like. She was pretty well disguised with her glasses and her hat and her <laughs> Very gloves Clark and her Kent. coat. <laughs> uh, in fact, she didn't. The glasses she was wearing when she was in the office were <laughs> distance glasses, so she really couldn't see what she was making notes. But she really couldn't see what she was writing. Uh-huh. So I can't remember when it comes up. I think it's a little bit later. Um, I can't remember if it's during the congress. Was it congressional hearings or Senate hearings? I don't know. What's the The church committee. That was later. That was later. But then they talked about the freedom of information request. Oh, yeah. That's towards the end. Okay. And I was unclear who that guy was. I think I looked away from the screen for a second. I couldn't remember if he was... I mean, he was another reporter, right? But was he Washington Post or... I don't remember. So he does a freedom of information request. He keeps sending them over and over again. I thought it was a professor. I thought he was writing something about... Oh, there's a there's a man he's he does he's doing freedom of information requests about the documents that have been leaked and getting nowhere so he files a lawsuit saying we need these and ultimately gets a judge who says well you have to release these to this guy he gets five document five pages worth of documents about what's called COINTELPRO which is the FBI's uh, anti left secret secret secret. surveil the american people program (laughs) and one of those five pages says oh this cointel program is actually seven different programs split into these things so then he uses that to make new requests and then he gets fifty thousand pages of information all the information about all this stuff which leads to congressional hearings right right the church commission grows out of that i believe yeah and that's when all you know everything starts to you know, the wheels come off the wagon for the FBI in terms of, well, okay, you've been... Oh, now we see all the horrible stuff you've been up to. And we're it's mad at great. you. Tisk tisk. It The movie didn't start with the speech made by Church. I think it was Church. But somebody had made a big speech about how communications in 1971... This is he, talking about their present day, that, that there was technology available that could just pull all communications out of the air... Did you hear that speech? Mm-mm. That wasn't mm. in the movie. Okay. I don't remember it. So I, the other thing that's on that disc is a is a panel discussion. What disc? The disc that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I bought 1971 on disc. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> and a, and a one of the extras on that disc is a panel discussion with this people that were in the movie. The mm-hmm. not all eight of them, but Keith was there, and Bonnie and her husband were there. And uh, Betty Metzger was on the mm. panel, and the director of the movie, uh, a woman whose name I can't remember right now, was on the panel. And then they had Edward Snowden also <laughs> oh, uh, via satellite. And there's a reason. There's a reason why, because there are similarities between what he did and what they did. Sure. And the time that, at the time that this movie came out, it was very close to when Edward Snowden did his stuff. Mm-hmm. The two things sort of happened very close together and so when this movie came out there was a lot of talk about how that kind of pumped up the movie a little bit because Mm -hmm. there was this controversy over edward snowden releasing information about how the cia was surveilling americans you know violating their right civil rights 
Didn't get a church commission out of it this time. Nope. <laughs> didn't, didn't quite get as much distance. Well, oh, apparently Obama came out and said, although I don't agree with what he did, it did uncover some flaws in our system. Great. That's <laughs> great. Putting it mildly. That I was uh, awesome. apparently... Complicit? No, that I was um, leveraging Definitely my own not own yeah. <laughs> I like my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, one of the interesting things that happens when the FBI is investigating them is, you know, they had to make photocopies of all these documents to send them. And so the FBI goes to Xerox and is like, tell us where these copies came from. And Xerox apparently can just tell you, looking at copies, what machines made them, which I thought was fascinating. I had no idea yeah, that, that, like, they were there are that to, distinctions. They were able to easily pinpoint what machine it was. Mm-hmm. And then they also told the FBI that if you can get us some papers we can from tell you. a Xerox machine, we can tell you whether it's the Xerox yeah. machine. So they give them the model number, which they narrow down to like, there's 100,000 in the country, but only 1,000 in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So they've really like narrowed it down and they go to, is it Emerson College? Is that where he works? There's two colleges they're making copies from. So there's at least one where he works and the FBI is showing up. So he calls the other guy who has made some copies and is like, they're coming to examine the machines, you know, do something so that guy can like scratch the drum right. so that it so doesn't one, make the marks in one case they scratched the drum and somebody came along and so it had to be replaced mm-hmm. in the other case uh there was a little bit of a panic because someone came and took the drum a repairman came and took the drum and the guy didn't know whether he took it because the fbi was a you know was suspicious mm-hmm. or whether he took it for some other reason <laughs> just just yeah. happened to take it but nothing ever came yeah of it. they never got caught right. but I mean, yeah, this is like if this were an action movie, that would be the like tent scene where like the FBI is coming up the stairs and, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> so it right. takes it out. And yeah, I was I was tense during that part. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but nothing comes of it. No. Yeah. I mean, the fact is they were never caught. No. Yeah. Which is fascinating. And uh, I don't know. Are we to the I end? think that's it. And then there's basically an epilogue about the, the, the folks who were involved. In I did like now. the part during the church commission where, you know, they're asking about these things that are going on and i don't i don't know which of the questioners it was but he's saying that like you know my kids have been telling me all along that these things were going on and i just kept telling them like no you're on the pot (laughs) (laughs) you know like you're you're crazy and he's like and they were right like my kids who have been telling me that our government was doing this all along were were right and now i we have to figure out like how do we say you were right and also how do we stop this from ever happening again but I just really yeah. liked that he called him. You're on the pot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's, it's both. I don't know. It's both reflective of kind of where we are, and also like kind of. It was both depressing, but also kind of like, I don't know, meaningful to me that a lot of the ways that you know, interviewing these folks now who are in their seventies, probably, their political views or how they feel, and a lot of them are like. Well, I don't know if it was a good thing that we did it, but good things came out of it. And we really thought there'd be a lot of change, but there was a little change. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, huh, yeah, that is like, it's interesting how kind of like bittersweet all of their recollections of this period were. One of the interesting things on the panel was that Bonnie's husband, whose name I can't remember, uh, he gives a little speech from the panel to Edward Snowden, basically saying, you're a patriot and you did the right thing. (laughs) And... You know, we, you know, America needs people to, mm. you know, do these things. Is Snowden the one who's gone crazy since then? Yes. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> he sucks now. So, yeah. sorry. Sorry, people. No. <laughs> sorry. Chelsea <laughs> Manning's the cool one, yeah. I think. 
Yeah. WikiLeaks is the cool one, but the no, 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 that's no, no. not the cool one. That's, WikiLeaks that's is the Snowden. Ed Snowden isn't WikiLeaks. Oh. You've got him back. Who's the WikiLeaks person? I don't know what. I don't know who. The I, Wiki- I'm pretty sure Snowden no. is like Assange's buddy now. Nope. Oh, Assange is the one I was thinking. That's who wrong. Sucks. Ed, Edward Snowden is the one who worked for basically he worked for Dell, I guess. But he uh he had a high security clearance yeah. and discovered that but he's the not in CIA, Russia right now. He is in Russia. Yeah, yeah. So oh yeah, he sucks. He's, he sucks. But he's not the WikiLeaks. Well. No, but he's, in terms of the propaganda that's being spread, he's being used as one of the like, oh, look, see, even this American guy who's a, you know, who was reporting on a government will tell you how bad X, Y, and Z is, even though X, Y, and Z is a fake thing. but let's clarify what he did. (laughs) Sure, no, no. (laughs) But we're just saying, we're separating from like, yeah, that was great, to now he sucks. No, I mean, he's he's a kind of a weird guy to begin with, but the thing that he did, the, the, the thing that he did that was similar to what the burglary people did the 1971 people did is that he discovered that verizon was handing all of its data all of its customers data over to the cia it's really weird to me that that sort of came out at the time it did because i just thought that was like a known thing i mean maybe not to the cia but i just from working there and like when law enforcement would call for like help like there was like a procedure for like who to direct them to well Mm -hmm. you're supposed to have a warrant and you're supposed to have a reason for getting somebody's data, but yeah. they were just getting everyone's data. Right. They were getting mm-hmm. my data if I happen to be a Verizon customer, and I don't have a criminal Yeah, but record. you're a little <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> You've got this dissident podcast. Well, that is true. I mean, I'm not saying it's okay that they were doing it. I guess I just was sort of surprised by everybody else's surprise. Do you kind of, <laughs> kind of like in 1971, where they all knew the FBI was doing it, and suddenly all these senators are like, "What?" Right. My, here's my question that I occasionally think of on, on in my darkest nights. Do you think there's an FBI file on you? Sure, but it's probably boring. No, I don't mean if it's boring or not. But like I, every think once in a one. while, I like... think it's more likely that there's one on me now than there would right. have been like five years ago. No, I know. I'm just saying. Yeah, now, I don't think do I don't think, think I'm important one? enough to track. But every once in a while, like I'll talk into the air and be like. Hope that was a funny joke. Oh, yeah. Like, like Aww. hope. Like, did you ever watch um The Good Wife when it was on? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes. I'm nodding my head. I didn't watch them all, but I did watched you them watch to when they got to the NSA part about like the NSA listening on her on her calls yeah. and things like that? And it's just it's just nerds and cubicles like listening to her life and like they all really love oh, the story because did. of all the salacious things that are happening with the affairs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so every once in a while, I think about like the bored nerds in their offices, and I'm like. Hope that was fun for you. Like, hope I'm spicing up your <laughs> your time. dull day. Well, I mean, it has affected my behavior. Actually, I would hmm. not. I, yeah. I'm not. I don't have Siri turned on on my phone. No, sure. I don't want a listening device that Just will respond it to off. me. Do you think that does it? No. Well, according to no, because I was I, one of the other books that I started listening to was the book about Edward Snowden. Uh, it was the one written by the journalist that he contacted who went to Thailand to meet with him. There were actually hmm. a couple of them, but one of them wrote a book after it was all said and done and uh he was kind of like loosey-goosey about security Mm. and one of the reasons that they didn't connect up right away is because edward snowden kept saying okay you need to install all this stuff and (laughs) set it up so that everything you know so that we can communicate uh securely and it took him all the while to get around to that because it wasn't important to him and he also kept being told by the other person that went to go see edward snowden that uh you can't have your cell phone here. Uh, they can turn on your cell phone at any time and start listening to you. They have the technology to mm-hmm. do that. And Edward Snowden kind of repeated that to him later and said, well, if you got your cell phone with you, you got to put it in the freezer so we're at least muffled when they turn it on and start listening to us. <laughs> right. So, no, I don't think turn, turning Siri off <laughs> yeah, works. Just 
I don't know anything. I'm just, I, you know, I think about that as like, well, on the one hand, I haven't, I don't have a criminal record and I haven't done anything, but the types of things I listen to and read on Facebook and I am a lawyer and I'm on a podcast mm-hmm. that really narrows it down really quick. You know, we march in protest marches that right. would be the type of thing that people would target. I do know that I've had at least one background check in this in the last year mm-hmm. uh, such that I have a certain uh, I have a certain privilege at work that I can only have if I pass my background check. Sure. So there's some attention on yeah, you. Yeah, so I guess I'm all right. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, it's not that. I'm just curious. It's not a security clearance, but it right. was a background check. Yeah. I mean, in terms of altering behavior, I know that I don't comment on public Facebook posts. I don't comment on Twitter. But also part of that is I read this article called like how a stranger ruined my life or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I should find it. But it's literally just about this lady who disagreed with someone online. And then that person made up something about them on a website. I and think I may have read that. Yeah. Again. And just like ruined her real estate business, like accused her of having an affair with somebody's husband and like ruined her real estate. So anyway, no. I, I, I try to keep my like public yeah. persona private. Yeah. I try to, I don't want to get docs. I don't want to get swatted. Yeah. I don't want any of those th- terms to happen to me. Yeah. So but I guess I, I'm, I think I'm, about that I'm more worried about um, Some jerk. extreme political activists than I am about the FBI caring about. I think you'll show up on Wiki so far. That's my follow-up <laughs> question. <laughs> the other group that might follow you. But yeah, I mean, every once in a while, somebody random will follow me on Twitter, and I'm like, mm, yeah, I get those too. You feel sketch, so I'll just block them. Yeah, I have a lot of randos follow me on Twitter, yeah. and I hope they're well. I guess if they're the FBI, it's as good as anything else. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Still a follow, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do I prefer just some random person versus an agent? I, I, who knows? And that's 1971. (laughs) Well, we find out about how they've all ended up. Yeah. Oh, and then, uh, so, uh, Betty Medsker, the journalist who got the paperwork, and I, you know, I had said that she was, had a personal relationship with at least a few of the, the people. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing it was probably Bonnie and her husband and, um, maybe Bill. So in 1989, they, they were all at dinner together and that was when they revealed to her that they were. The, the burglars. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, I was going to say, we never really got back to that ninth guy, did we? Oh, right. Um, the guy that dropped out. Yeah. And what was interesting was, you know, the FBI was lying to everyone about what was in these documents and kept saying that there were they were a national security mm-hmm. risk. Um, kind of like so, George H.W. Bush. Yeah. So, <laughs> hmm, weird. Um, <laughs> so the ninth guy comes back to them all and says, listen, I'm thinking about turning you in. Oh, yeah. Because the FBI is saying you have these documents that are a national security risk and you could release them at any time. So I was just listening to that part of the book earlier mm-hmm. today and apparently it was his girlfriend who was telling him that. Interesting. So the, uh, the, but she, pro- I mean, she I don't influenced. think she made that. Yeah, right. she didn't make that up on her own. <laughs> Come on. Um, but yeah, so, and they sort of have to reassure him like, no, <laughs> like we don't have <laughs> no, anything cool. that is, you know, a risk to national security. Yeah. But that's sort of why they were blocking those Freedom of Information request acts. So they were like, no, no, you can't see any of this national security. And the judge was like, no, I've looked at him. They're fine. <laughs> it's like, all good. One of the interesting things about that was that at that time in history, J. Edgar Hoover was so revered and feared by Congress, the president. He actually had dirt on the president and Henry Kissinger at the time and by the American public mm-hmm. that he could literally just say the FBI 
belongs to me <laughs> and I'm yeah. not going to comply with any of the things that you asked me for. And every year he would go and say, here's the budget that I want. And they would say, okay, <laughs> here it is. We don't want to, we would not want to get on your bad side. He's like an old time spy guy. Old time spy master. There was something that came up in, I think it was the, all the president's men. I think it was the book. I don't know that it came up in the movie, which was the thing that uh, Hoover had on Kissinger and, and Nixon was that they had, specifically requested to have some people's phones tapped mm -hmm. uh, illegally mm -hmm. and he got it in writing he made sure that he had in writing that they requested this illegal thing to happen so later when they needed something from him he said mm, no thanks i've got this proof that you <laughs> that you violated the <laughs> law here president and secretary of state i also really liked when they were interviewing the fbi agent and he was like yeah then we had to sort of go through some remedial training with everyone on like how to hide <laughs> sensitive <laughs> documents and not just have them in filing cabinets that don't have locks right. like the put other, them in safes and i was like well yeah, that's one of also the a lesson. other things that came up in the in the book that wasn't covered in the movie was that mark felt was responsible for uh, providing the budget for the safes and he huh. sort of uh, skimped a little. So the safes weren't big enough to hold all of the, <laughs> all the illegal documents. Oh. <laughs> uh, so and then he tried to sort of throw somebody under the bus for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember watching this movie and I kept thinking to myself, like, I wonder what Mark Felt would have to say about this. He, you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> that Irish guy? Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely the hero in his movie. And yeah. this is right before that. This yeah. reminded me. <laughs> Of a somewhat unrelated, but somewhat related news story I read a couple days ago about um, Trump a couple weeks ago, well, maybe a month. Who knows? With time, the way it is, <laughs> yeah. What yeah, day is? I don't know how much time he takes. Was being asked about the Russia investigation, and he said he has hundreds of photos of Comey and Mueller hugging and kissing, <laughs> and so it was an article. <laughs> From I can't. I'll look at. It. it might have been the Huffington Post, one of those who had done a free, done a Freedom of Information request to the FBI, saying, "Can I please have all photos you have of Robert Mueller and James Comey hugging or kissing?" And then they interviewed, uh, I think James Comey's wife, being like, "Well, they didn't find anything. So how do you feel about that?" And she's like, "I feel good that they didn't find any photos." <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, newspaper. I enjoyed it. It made so me laugh. One of the things that they mentioned in the movie was about how the FBI was sending, you know, agents undercover. And one of the agents they sent was um, to infiltrate the KKK. And I wondered if that is what that new movie that Black, Klansman. Black Klansman is based on. No. I is that a different, so. that's a different FBI agent that <laughs> went undercover? I thought they were police. Were they FBI? No, they were FBI. FBI. Oh. Yeah. Hmm, maybe so, it is then. Anyway, I was like, I, I mean, I'm sure they might have done it more than once, but I just was like, oh, I think I just saw that trailer for a Spike yeah. Lee movie. And that's 1970. <laughs> <laughs> it's also Punishment Park. Yeah. Um, I, this was probably the first episode this whole season where I was like, these were both good. Punishment Park was a little slow and hard to watch because yeah, I don't know if I recommend it. Depressing. I would recommend it be just for the the context that everything that we see right now. It was here in 1971 in exactly the same way. I don't know that we've made any progress. Yeah, no. it's really hard to hard to watch that and be like. That's why it's things a hard are watch. better now, right? That's that is what makes it a hard watch. Is that the, everything that they say? I can go look on my Facebook mm -hmm. on my Facebook page right now, and I will see the same. I'll see memes about the same thing. I won't yeah. see speeches. You'll I'll see, see minions me. giving those speeches mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of people. Yeah, although it is a little slow and a little repetitive. 1971 I liked just across the board it was, it was exciting really well and interesting and also was like oh okay direct action that 
was effective this time. Right. Like it worked. And you get a you get to see a cool heist. The people they're interviewing are really interesting. The other thing that this event probably made go a little bit more quickly was when they published the Pentagon Papers. Now I can't mm-hmm. remember what the juxtaposition was, but it was like they I were think, saying that because they had to struggle with this decision, that it made it much easier for the when, next one. For the next one, that right. this really paved the way for them to be like, no, no, this is our policy. This is what we've gone through. And that it might have turned out differently if the Pentagon Papers had been the very first one. Well, and I, we, I'm sorry. We have to clarify something. Now I'm thinking that some of them get arrested and are put on trial and are acquitted. But not for this. No, not for not this. For, for a different this. thing. No, because they were dissidents. They did yeah, all kinds they kept, of things. Yeah, they kept doing more action. They went on like another heist of another thing and it wasn't planned very well the camden it was was keith and who's the second guy bill no No. not bill the one with the scars on his face but i don't the reason i bring that up is it is suggested in the movie that part of this is that kind of the tie the public attitude has been changing because it sounds the way the movie frames it is like there is the evidence there to get find them guilty oh yeah it was jury nullification yeah because they're like no uh And that's where this starts to slide mm-hmm. a little bit. Right. Although it did take to 1978. Yeah. And then in 1981, Reagan pardoned Mark Felt and the other conspirator against the American people. Sure. I mean, we'll see what happens, let's say, 2020, February of the next year mm-hmm. and who gets pardoned and who doesn't to see how, how well history repeats itself. But I wanted to bring that up because I was like, oh, yeah, some of the, there is a trial in this. But they all get acquitted. I think that was for the Camden event. I think it was a draft board. Destruction. Thing. Yeah. But yeah, I think that 1971 was great. It was hard to find. I rented it on Amazon Prime. It cost five bucks, which sucks oh. to rent. And I had to rent it twice because I did not finish it in 24 hours. Um, <laughs> and it's 80 minutes long. But it was good. I really liked it. I would have finished yeah. it all in one night if I would had the time. I would be interested to see if that documentarian who made 1971 has done anything else or before. Hmm. In particular, because it was a woman, and that's not that, you know, no. we don't see a lot of movies directed by women in our, ever. Just generally <laughs> Just in, in life. Just in general. Uh, the other yeah. thing about 1970, not 1971, Punishment Park, uh, it was one of the more diverse movies that we watched. There were actually yeah. people of color in it, although they were all dissidents. Sure, but that seems appropriate for the right, times. it seems correct. Oh, no, actually, one of the policemen was also an African-American. Yeah, one. <laughs> uh, let's see. She's directed She's done more movies. documentaries, but I haven't heard of any of them. Most of these look like episodes of TV documentary series. For PBS? That would explain the PBS connection. Kind of, it's hard to tell. Um, she was a producer on more stuff. But this is the only thing that she wrote and directed that was a movie, as far as I can tell. And she also has a personal relationship with the reporter who... They're not the same age. It looks like, looking at them, they're about she 20 seems years younger. apart. The director yeah. seems younger. Um, but the director and the journalist, uh, Betty Medsker, have a personal relationship with each other mm-hmm. and have for many years. That was something that they talked about on the panel, I believe. Yeah? Sorry, cool. I was thinking about current events and which ones I wanted to bring up because there's been All right, an so insane amount of stuff happened in the last week. Something happened today. I don't think we should talk about it. No, I don't no. know a whole lot about it. Um, but... We are recording this uh, the evening of the day in which 11 people were killed in a synagogue and six people injured and three policemen shot. October 27th. October 27th. So that just that's places us it's in also time. the week that a bunch of bombs were mailed. Yep, that was Ooh. a couple days ago. Mostly Democrat-related people. All Democrat. All and Democratic. Robert De Niro. 
Well, he, but he the guy that is, got up on stage and said, said fuck, fuck the, Trump. Yeah, yes, but he's and not also a Democratic ban- politician. Also no, but banned he said, him he's from... probably a Democrat. Yeah, right. Yeah. I just want to clarify that it's Basically, actually a little broad. Air quote enemies of Trump. Right. Yeah, exactly. Nailed. Which he probably had pictures of on his van as well as the all van of is, the van is insane. The, the van is was, a walking red flag. And he drove around Chippendale dancers through, around Florida. Anyway, he's a he's a crazy person. So anyway. Yeah. It's been a week. So that's um, this week. And that was what distracted us from uh, a journalist who got tortured and dismembered mm-hmm. in an, a resident, a United States resident. With, uh, with, with American children. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and he, where was that? Was that in Saudi Arabia? He was. He went to the Saudi Arabia the consulate. Consulate. I think it was in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, and so the authoritarian despot uh, Erdogan from Turkey has had a platform to be in the right for a... Yeah, it's he's really weird. Bizarro he, world. Yeah, and uh, we get to watch our government basically be like, well, who's to say what happened? And yeah. Saudi Arabia, who in the past has basically relied on American uh, PR to cover for them, uh, is now going like, he walked. He was walking out of the building, not into the building, and who knows what happened. Yeah, they've had um, to retract a lot of lies. And a bunch of journalists who generally are uh, more positive towards Saudi Arabia now are having to really walk a fine line of like, we don't really like it when one of people we know get murdered. Well, we've had this discussion before in a previous episode, and I don't know why, but it seems like journalists only get upset that that uh, our president is bad when they're the target yeah and every other target is fair game yeah that's about right or they're willing to do a if not a both sidesy sort of thing a well we can't say for sure sort of or we have to be neutral or no one will trust us except no one trusts you right now so well the people who don't trust them are never gonna trust them so there's no point in like trying to pander i'm not sure i trust them right with the last year or so they're not i trust them more yeah but i'm i'm uh, yeah but i'm of the mind that they can (laughs) get there yeah right whereas the people they keep pandering to which are you know making us question it right are the ones who are never going to change their minds. I'm not chopping them up or mailing them bombs, so yeah. I guess I'm on the side, the right side you of know, history No, I'm here. still pro the fourth estate. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's where I come in. Yeah, I think I, uh, the thing that I'm that is bothering me is that they just won't come out and use the accurate word language. Right? Yeah. So they won't say, yeah, the, the lie. Trump says without evidence <laughs> yeah. that... Uh, Trump wrongly states... <laughs> repeatedly every day at rallies that even when confronted (laughs) wrongly states it's cool to send bombs yeah Yeah, that's right that's a problem it's very hard to justify a subscription well not only that with the new york times the washington post because every couple months i go oh my stomach i do that every morning i look at an opinion piece and go no Every day, there's something in both the Washington Post and the New York Times that is like, why are you giving this person a platform? I don't want to hear this. I don't need to hear this. They have no new information to give me. And also, it's just just the both sidesism that's just unnecessary and should go away. Yeah, it is. It is that, but it's it is. I feel like the Washington Post, New York Times. It is both sides in that they hear liberals complaining about something and then they give a platform to a conservative mm-hmm. side but it's not like they both get a platform because the trans no because they think that their is, default yeah it's position like is... caitlin jenner gets a platform uh, and i was really hoping we didn't say that name i was it. i was gonna complain and then there's no both sides they only gave one platform didn't want to say it side. i didn't want to give her any more attention 
Yeah, it's it's that, real rough times. But when out you there. said that journalists only care when things happen to them, that that was going to be my personal example of like, yeah, I guess who only cares when it affects them? Yeah, is people like her. It's real bad. It's not bad enough for us to give up. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> I mean, <it's... laughs> we'll, well see. No. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not discounting it. Well, I mean, I'm spending a lot of time reading about what was going on in the late '60s and '70s, yeah. and there were people like Keith and Bonnie and Bill who were they weren't being violent, but they were taking action that was disruptive. Right. And we are not. It, we haven't found a way to do that. I don't. Yeah, we're kind it's of a little like, harder now in well, some ways. Also, I think we're holding our breath for November six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the voter suppression right. is rampant. Yeah. So, and the thing is, you know, twenty sixteen November eight <laughs> was was like soul crushing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, now it's almost two years later. We're coming up on two years, and either we're going to put a slight break Maybe. on that monster train. That, that heel digging into Maybe. your soul every day. Right. That's what our options are. Either we're going to put a slight break on it or it's just going to keep crashing through the next two years. Yeah. And I need a strategy before November 7 for what, how to respond to failure. Well, and you have to, that also requires putting a lot of faith that the Democrats sweep the House and the Senate and also, they do something that is, they do a net positive effect after that as I well. I gotta tell you, I mean, I'm pro net positive, but at this point, yeah. I'm just, I'm my bar is just so low. Yeah, that's, And it's like, that's can we just slow down the, like, can you do something? the wreckage that is occurring? Like, well, just a speed bump would be yeah. helpful at this point. My concern, and it's, it's partly because of what I represent, a white, middle-aged upper class not upper class the enemy upper, upper middle right, <laughs> right no i do i represent the enemy yeah me I, too but i also represent i represent a specific group of people who who on the liberal side they are all holding their breath for november 6 yeah. and my concern is if it goes our way then they're all just gonna ah, go back problem right. solved Na- time to take a nap yeah. it's all over now well my fear is that if it doesn't go their way november 6th that they'll all give that up they'll give up right that's the so other it's way. like it's very comfortable they're the least uncomfortable of the uncomfortable people right <sighs> women in particular i well I well guess, no men no, in particular yeah. but they are but it's easy but there's to too many yeah i mean I, <laughs> I, suck. I forgot to say white yeah I, I forgot that that qualifier but so, uh, but it's like men and women of a certain age yeah. who are economically comfortable this isn't really this is affecting them emotionally because they don't like what they're seeing but it isn't affecting their actual day-to-day mm-hmm. life and if they can get back to a place where they think oh the government's back on track now they could very easily just stop canvassing and stop writing postcards and stop calling their senators mm-hmm. and go and, back to well, their... and I'll even I'll fall on my own sword here and say yeah, it is to some extent of a certain age but it's also to some extent not of like there are lots of young white people who are terrible and have are just as bad. They are not. Uh, I would not put my money on young white people to fix anything, given their given their druthers. When you look at Charlottesville, yeah. it's not only old people there. Yeah. You know that's what I'm. Well, I'm talking about liberals. I'm not yeah. talking about the crazy people. Right. And but, there are very. <laughs> yeah. But despite years and years and years of this being the statistic, 
the youngest voting block is the one that doesn't turn out. So right. to be a little And now aren't they the largest yeah. potential voting block? I believe millennials time, may yeah. be the largest group. Right? Yeah, but that, that's because the definition of millennial is such a like well, all <laughs> large. All of the cohorts <laughs> like, are stupid. Apparently, I'm oh, a millennial. I'm like, okay. I like, have been. I'm pushing the... forty. So, so just like the last couple of weeks or so, I realized, oh wait, I'm not a baby boomer. No, <laughs> you're not a baby boomer. You're Gen X. I was born in 1963. So depending on what range, depending on what page you look yeah. at, I fall into the baby boomer category. Or maybe Gen X. I'm definitely Gen X. I, yeah, I realized I was watching this, um, I don't know what, funny video on YouTube, sure. I guess. <laughs> it's all YouTube videos. And it was a millennial interviewing a baby boomer for a job. And at the end, they turned out to be son and father. That's part <laughs> of the funny part. But in the middle of it, a middle-aged Gen X man comes in and says, who took my sarah crow record cheryl crow sorry <laughs> I, oh, I was I so knew. confused i was <laughs> like is that a gen x thing i don't understand <laughs> i knew the name wasn't right um who took my cheryl crow record and then and they you both, like cheryl crow they both mock him and he leaves and i'm like oh i spent most of the 90s listening to yeah. one cheryl, cheryl crow Crow's, record uh, was it the globe again. sessions because that one's great no was it is that the one? I don't know what songs are on that. Um, my favorite mistake. Um, Sunset. It was Lula. my favorite. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a great yeah, album. That's the yep. one. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> I remember you having it in your car. So anyway, I listen to a lot of Cheryl Crow too. But I'm actually about ten years older than the people I know to be solidly Gen X, who mm-hmm. are almost all my friends are about ten years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Which is the other thing that makes me think, oh, I guess I just identify more with that group, and it was a relief. It was a relief to go, oh, I'm not a baby boomer. I'm not the people that caused all, the, all of our problems. <laughs> well, but not, I know, we'll it's not really true. But, um, but baby boomers get blamed a lot. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I can just imagine that I'm not one. <laughs> I don't know the demographics of our listening audience, but I'm going to give them all a compliment sandwich or whatever you want to call it here. <laughs> What's a compliment it's not a sandwich? You don't know what a compliment I, oh, sandwich is? I know is. what a compliment sandwich That's is. That's like a, I don't know, management tool. So it's where if you need to give somebody... Constructive, constructive criticism. Criti- you want to give somebody negative feedback. You're like... <laughs> oh, you put something good on the on both sides of it? Yes. Yes. The, right. It's the middle of it. It's the... Con- the <laughs> it's the real feedback. important stuff. <laughs> and then you make compliments on either side. So you start with something nice and end with something mm-hmm. good. This, so what I'm going to say is, to people my age or younger... You have to say what your age is then. I'm 32. I'm at... Probably the very oldest edge Mm-mm. of millennial, depending on some no. definition. I think you're solidly I mean, millennial. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm 37, and I think I'm you're on millennial. the edge <laughs> right. of millennial. Millennial, you guys should vote. You guys should be politically active. You guys should be active generally in your community. That's the best and only thing you can do, and you have to do it, and I, you should go do it right now. And I want to be more specific, because I think that the people who are drawn to these messages are probably the people who are like, yeah, a vote, and, you know, like, and then they're just done with it. Sure. Like, make sure your friends vote. And if they do, make sure they're telling their friends to vote. Like, it is the train yeah. of peer pressure in the good way. Because we will outlive all the people we don't like. So I mean, if you keep until at they, it. Unless they burn the world down. Right. Because we've got, what, like, till you know 21 years or something like that and that's true 17 years this, is that the latest you're in time? the middle part of the sandwich yeah <laughs> <laughs> you were still at the bread and is it it's a it's like olive loaf in there right yeah. uh is you mean a good bread no, no is, no, is, the, is it is there in the, is the, in the, the middle the like the yeah is the sandwich is, <laughs> yeah is, i don't yeah. know what the sandwich 
the middle part I'm going to say. It's one of those sandwiches in that 1971 cookbook. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not good in there. <laughs> they just found some canned peaches and some canned ham and uh, green olives, I believe. <laughs> Jarred olives. And maybe some dark molasses. <laughs> oh, it's horrifying. It's not a good cookbook. <laughs> so the middle part of the sandwich, the thing I'm going to say, in defense of anybody who sucks and is not involved, uh, I voted in the 2016 election for the person who got the most votes and did not win and is not the president. So I certainly recognize people who feel uncomfortable or do not uh, feel like their votes matter. But even if you feel that way, you got to vote. You got to be involved. You need to volunteer places. There's a lot of things you can do that is not an excuse to be uh, passive because things will only get worse. There's lots of stuff you can do that will help the world and our country, even if you don't feel like your votes matter and you should vote anyways. Just well, do I mean, it. especially with local elections, your yes. votes matter so much. They really and do. And a lot of the consequences from the 2016 election are how much local things have been affected, how much mm-hmm. judicial races, you know, federal appointments, things like that, that trickle down and make a difference. So even if you don't think nationally your vote matters, which it does, it does. you should definitely still vote <laughs> because all the things that happen in your day-to-day life, you know, your commute to work, which is awful for everyone. No one has a good commute. Yeah. Like from just the smallest things like that all the way up, just vote. Because hey, th- that's how they get changed. If we have another civil war, you're going to want really good local <laughs> officials. <laughs> it makes a big difference. Yep. So that's my sandwich. My you can do it. What was the good bread on the other side of the sandwich? Both sides of the both breads were vote. It makes a difference. Get involved. The middle was the excuse as to why feeling like your vote doesn't matter has a little element of truth to it. Oh, my middle was we're all gonna die if you don't. Right. So <laughs> like climate change is happening. Nicole and I added both a little bit <laughs> like, to the inside of the sandwich. There's a little arsenic inside the sandwich. Yeah. There's a bad meat and a bad cheese. There's a little iocane powder. If you take a little and build up a tolerance, you'll. We'll get through. Yeah, that's right. Don't eat the sandwich all at once. But that's that's the compliment sandwich for millennials. That is that that compliment sandwich does not apply to boomers or even Gen Xers. But also vote. Yeah, you have a, a lot. You wield if you are white and of that age group, you wield a lot of power in society already. And also, all of your elected officials and all the celebrities are of your age group and care about your issues the most. So don't worry about it. You have power already. Just use it in a wise way. That's all I got. No one me. That's it. Okay. Should we plug things? Uh, let's. Uh, do you guys want to plug things that you are that are less depressing? Yeah, that's right all now? I've got. Because <laughs> Nicole, what do you got? Um. So I started watching a new sitcom called Single Parents, which I didn't think I was going to enjoy because I'm not a parent and mm-hmm. I don't normally enjoy sitcoms that have kids in them. Sure. Because I think they're usually annoying child actors, and this one is very very funny it's almost um good place reminiscent of mm. like not like story-wise but just mm-hmm. the like yeah. pace of the jokes and and, stuff. and they have like the kids that are in it that are not annoying they're actually like really <laughs> really good at their roles um it's got um brad garrett in it and shake my head because he's from every love but he loves raymond he has the really like low voice yes like very tall really low voice um, it's got uh, Leighton Meester, I think is her name. She was in Gossip Girl. She was Blair. Um, oh, Brad Garrett was in I'm Dying Up Here. Do you, are you familiar with that? Huh. I only know Mom him from every That, that is an excellent show. Was that on huh. Amazon? Mm, HBO? I think it's on HBO or Showtime, maybe. 
I've definitely heard of it. Um, he so he plays a washed up. I'm sorry, I could interrupt you. Oh no, I just, I just knew I've that I knew him. Brad Garrett and liked him for some reason, and it was that. Yeah. So anyway, it's really funny, and it's just lighthearted, and it's not annoying about kids. I'm totally forgetting the other guy who's in it, but anyway, he's funny too. What channel is it on? Uh, ABC, NBC, but it, you know, it's on Hulu. That's weird. I've <laughs> never even heard of it. Um, yeah, it just started this season. It's like four or five episodes in. But anyway, check it out. It's good. And then the other one, because we're in October, is um, on Netflix, Ooh. The Haunting of Hill House. Everybody I know who's watching it loves it so much. Do it. It's so scary. Oh, Jump I've, on the train. So I wasn't yeah. sure. I saw that it was there. I've actually watched a few of the movies. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to describe this to one of my friends. I was like, I think there's been a bunch of movies yes. and it's based on a book. <laughs> and they're like, huh? We, didn't we watch? We didn't no, watch No, we him, didn't. But we, Maggie and I watched a couple of them and it, we didn't watch them together. I've never they seen have, them, but I've um, familiar actors in them whose yes. names I <laughs> Ryan yes. was maybe the most recent one. No, no, no. You're thinking of Amityville or Oh, I am thinking of no. Amityville. No, or... it's The House on Haunted Hill. I think Tay Diggs was in one of them. Hmm. Uh, the I two like main Tay characters, Diggs. though, like there's a couple that they go and they de-haunt houses. I'm thinking of the right thing, right? No. Oh, yeah. maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of a different... But story. anyway, yeah. scary stuff. Go check <laughs> yeah. it out. And I haven't watched a single episode yet, but I'm very excited for the thrilling adventures of Sabrina, <laughs> which I've heard is actually super good. And is I'm that going to be on excited. CW? It's on Netflix. Did you oh, watch any Netflix. of the Archie show? Yeah, I that's what I thought. I, that's what I thought you were talking about. No, the, a, the Riverdale. It Riverdale. is by related. the same creator. But oh, it's for Netflix, some and I... it's like more <gasps> PG-13. I thought it was going to be on CW because no. that's where Riverdale is. Oh, it's on Netflix. But I, it was my understanding that Sabrina actually came from Riverdale. Yes, yes. In the comics, she is also in the Archie verse. <laughs> uh, but this looks great because it is I don't know it's very hammy American horror story so it's like she's part of a her witch coven is like a satanic cult sort of thing All and right. it looks awesome and I've heard it's very cool a lot of good stuff on Netflix for Halloween I think if you liked the original season of American Horror Story Murder House and if you liked American Horror Story Coven and you haven't liked any of the other seasons, <laughs> um, the most recent season is worth checking it's out. Good. It's Apocalypse, yeah. and it is both of those combined. I heard a couple of people talking about it on uh, Las Culturistas, I believe, mm -hmm. is the podcast. Do they like it? Uh, they, well, this one has Kathy Bates again, right? Did, yes. the, the person who was describing it, and I can't remember who it was, was not liking it. But everything he said made it sound fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And then, like in episode three or something, everyone dies, and then the coven comes back. Yeah. Comes back. Spoilers. <laughs> awesome. But yeah. Okay. So anyway, those are my positive messages. <laughs> well, we have been watching. Uh, we started watching American Vandal season two. Yay! I had. A little, I didn't really want to. After the first episode, it was like, oh, that's yeah, no. gross. That's the only episode I watched with you, which I thought was fine. I wanted to watch it. It's not as bad after that. There's a lot less poop. <laughs> My mom doesn't like poop. Well, that wasn't just poop. Um, I mean, I'm was, not gonna lie. There's a little more poop that's coming. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe I'll get used to it. Yeah. I mean, the mystery is proceeding to be solved um so there's that we got a little into that we watched a couple of episodes of daredevil and i'm i haven't completely bought into it yet i've watched probably five and i'm completely bought into it. i like daredevil though so i'm a little biased but yeah. i'm really enjoying no, it's great it. right no i really like daredevil the first episode was very down you know it was kind of yeah. like just it gets him being sad about being broken up yeah it gets a lot more, more active active i think daredevil uh, well, I like Daredevil and Luke Cage the best of the 
Marvel series is for the most part. And I think both of them have the most comic booky vibe where it's like a little melodramatic and a little bit over the top. And this season's in that vibe more than the second season. Yeah, I was sad to hear that Luke Cage is canceled. No, uh, Iron Fist is canceled. They're both canceled. Luke, yeah. Luke Cage yeah, got canceled got, too? Yeah, they got it too. Oh, yeah. I really thought that I once know, Iron so Fist got sad. canceled that he was going to go to like there's Luke some, Cage and they were going to do like... There's some rumors that, and it's been hard to Iron tell Fist if and Power real, Man. they'll put them together and do a... Right, show. it's going to be hard for them what to keep the, the group happening? together if two of them don't have shows. It's already hard considering the events of the end of the Avengers do not play into any of the, the seasons defenders. of any of the, No, I was going to say of the Avengers Infinity Wars. Oh, oh the okay. fact that now everything's timeline is has to be screwed up to try and not resolve the plot of the movie. Yeah. It's uh, it's the whole process here is I mean a they screwy. they sort of stayed out of most of it anyway. True. Yeah, all they ever really <laughs> talked about was the event. The incident. Well, the incident at the end of Infinity War could not be avoided in Daredevil. Well, right. it depends on how. Yeah, I mean, right. I guess it depends I mean, on how, how they. How many people? It was like, what was the per- percentage? Of- half. Half. Fifty percent. Yeah. <laughs> New York would be messed up. <laughs> I mean, it'll. I mean, it, listen, it's getting reset. Yeah, so they would just assume that There's their timeline was never affected. Movie. But whatever. Um, oh, the new, uh, there's going to be that new Sorry, s- spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen <laughs> Infinity Wars. It's too late. <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago. I also, watched it on Blu-ray. if you watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, you would have known what the end of the Infinity Wars was as well. Yeah. yeah. They both ended with... Or you would have been really confused. Like, what the hell is going on? Why is it so dusty there? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, the other thing that we just finished watching was Castle Rock, which was something that Nicole had recommended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Maybe Stephen in the King previous show. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, she did. And it was really good. And I don't even really... Uh, I don't even like that kind I, of thing. Well, I don't read you a lot do of Stephen like King. Thing. I'm not a Stephen King No, fan. you're not. I don't know. if I've probably read but two Stephen read King novels. read The Stand, I think. No. Oh. I read I like the, uh, the, Shining? The, the Shining. And I, th- I may have read Carrie and there was a... There was a book that wasn't really a horror movie. I don't horror movie. Horror story. It wasn't really a horror story about baseball. I have a vague recollection. There's a baseball one. I've read a few of them. I really like Stephen King's books for the most part. Hmm. I mean, he's got a style. It's hard. I I have a hard time reading a lot of them sequentially because they have a lot in common. But mm-hmm. I don't. Know, I've always enjoyed them. They're uh, remaking. The good place. Everyone should watch that. The yeah. Good Place. Just watch The Good Place. The season, it's really good. It is great. Uh, apparently, there's going to be a season three of Queer Eye. <gasps> and the only reason that it came into my attention is that uh, Karomo has been doing the rounds on some of the podcasts that mm-hmm. I listen to. Yeah. And he's cool. And he <laughs> is cool. He's interesting. I, yeah. He's, I, he's changed a lot. I remember when he was on The Real World. What was he on The Real he World? Was they mentioned that not, in one of the interviews that I I mean... Heard. He wasn't like a villain or anything, but he was. Oh, that's he had awesome. seen some growth. To, I want to see a villain, Garamo. Well, but. I think the one thing that kind of stood out for me about him is that he is very specific about what language he will and won't use to describe mm-hmm. certain things. And I'm not going to go into any detail because I don't want to talk about any of the words that he talked about. Uh, okay. Jonathan Van Ness is the best. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is undeniable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I mean, and, and I, I love him. I love Cromo on the show. Yeah. Uh, and I think he has he's one of those he's a very thinky person like mm-hmm. he's thinking he's always hard. looking at a book when they cut to him Is he? <laughs> yeah karen and i laugh about it because they do like should the, make it a drinking game the little like cutaways to show them preparing so it'll be like bobby 
<laughs> Bill hitting a hammer and Karamo's always he's looking at a book and like stroking his chin. Well, one of the things that I thought was interesting, he talked about the first couple of seasons and how they because they called him the culture mm-hmm. person that that was a problem for him because that's not what he No, it's not at all what did. he does. No, he, but it's just modeled after the original. He and this is gonna tie into actually a movie that we're gonna watch mm. coming up. But only in in terms of language. He describes himself as being the heart and mind. Yeah. Person. Yeah, that's right. That would be a hundred percent correct. Well, and I think that was one of the things that the original show kind of struggled with was like what does the culture guy do? Yeah. You know? Sort of like heart from Captain Planet. Like what does that what does that guy do? Yeah. Well, the other thing, you can't force culture on people. No. They are drawn to culture. You can't And he never does. The show has he no, rarely no. does cultural and it, stuff. And he talked about in season two he spent a lot of time in cars having mm-hmm. conversations and that was sort of a strategy that he developed yeah. mm-hmm. to get around. So basically when they were in the cars, they were actually going places. They were going on little outings, but mm-hmm. you never see the outings. You only see the conversations. And that was how he sort of drove. It was how he controlled what his role was going to be. Mm-hmm. He would make the car conversation the interesting part. Then they would go and do the, you know, make whatever the activity was, yeah. plate or whatever they were supposed yeah. to do. But it wouldn't make it into the show because wasn't that wasn't the interesting part. <laughs> like anything with Anthony. <laughs> oh, shots oh. fired. Well, in the but second season, wrong. more so than the first season, because a lot of times it's just like, well, she knows how to cook. <laughs> I'm just he, gonna help yeah Anthony didn't really seem to I like him I like his personality he's, he's got cool. a little bit of a difficult job because you can only teach people with no skills so much, so much. but also some of the stuff he teaches them isn't a skill <laughs> and so yeah, it's and, like and some of the people are like oh no they had know how to cook yeah he's just there to help them like put it together mm-hmm. There was that one guy who knew how to cook something, but pretended that he did Oh, I love that. That was great. (laughs) Yeah, as soon as he's gone, he's like cooking everything with no problem. Uh, Well, anyway, when when it comes out, watch that. (laughs) It's not available now, but uh, watch it. Well, maybe by the time they listen to this. When's it coming? Uh, 2019. Oh, okay. Never mind. This episode's coming out in 2019. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I I am considering maybe releasing this episode first kind of depends <gasps> on so i only have no so then people have will be two. time travelers i only have two this the movies that we watched occur chronologically 1971 occurs chronologically before yeah. all the president's men yeah we should give each other we should tell our future selves the baseball results or whatever <laughs> <laughs> how do we how do we do use this to our how advantage do we, how do we bet on things yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you what our next movie? No, because I didn't do my plugs. You guys just skipped me. Oh, well, uh, well we don't need to hear what the white guy has to say about things. <laughs> That's true. Well, I'm going to do. Two, I'm gonna <laughs> but do I'm going to do it anyway because I'm in charge. I'm going to give two plugs. One of them is a tentative plug, not from a white guy, which is that although I have not watched very many episodes, Karen's been watching Kim's Convenience on Netflix. Oh yeah. Had you? You know, watched, you told me about it. Yeah. yeah. That's really delightful. What is it? It is a sort of a sitcom. It is a Canadian show that is on being now broadcast on netflix about a korean family who owns a convenience store like kind of like a bodega sort of Mm -hmm. that type of store um it's really good it deals a lot with race and culture um and you know being first generation or not first generation immigrants um but it's really funny and well made um I, i know you mom have really like fresh off the boat i think this is better i don't uh, you know i have mixed feelings about fresh okay off the boat, this is this has some of the same themes but is even from just a little bit i've watched 
a lot better and is really funny and like well acted and maybe a little more has a lot of heart (laughs) my assessment fresh off the boat i think the first season was good the other seasons are more like now it's just a sitcom and that's Mm -hmm. not really my thing i'm not a big sitcom fan so i have not connected to it and also i don't have the let's say cultural background that karen does that might connect her to kim's convenience as much but i think both of you would really like it probably more than i do uh and then my white guy plug uh is i saw the movie venom Uh for for another podcast i'm on and it's not good (laughs) but it's really great (laughs) yeah that's kind of what i heard yeah it is probably one of the more fun comic book movies i've seen in a long time um it's terrible it makes sense that it would be terrible because it has that man that actor who is a very bad actor is the is plays venom you think the tom hardy is a bad actor the guy from avatar no. no tom hardy has been in lots of stuff and he's a very and he's good great actor. yeah oh well I'll never mind i think about <laughs> who's the guy from avatar that's so bad uh, i can't even remember he, that yeah, guy's name he's not been in he's like tv level gerard butler <laughs> tom hardy was bane in batman uh, he was. He's been in a lot of the Noel, Christopher Knowles movies. He was in that taboo show on FX that I recommended way back in the day. He's in Peaky Blinders. He's he's Tom Hardy is an excellent actor, and he is probably the reason to see Venom because he plays both himself. You're thinking of Sam Worthington. Oh. Yeah, Sam that Worthington sucks. Yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> Tom Hardy's great. He really hams it up for Venom in a really fun way, and he plays both himself and the monster. Uh, it's really a bad movie with I think a terrible script but with some really good actors and really like plays a lot of stuff for laughs that maybe wasn't supposed to. I don't know. It was a delight from start to finish. I recommend it. (laughs) It was a delight. (laughs) If you think that what I'm describing sounds like you might like it, you probably will. And if you don't think so, don't see it. I mean, I'm pro things with Riz Ahmed in them, so. Yeah, he's not good in this. And I like Riz Ahmed a lot. (laughs) Uh, He is very hammy, but like maybe didn't get it was not in on the joke as much as tom hardy did he was, nick cage it up yeah he plays like the most generic i'm an evil bad guy character and he does it in a very like villain from a 90s comic book movie <laughs> way tom hardy I mean, that's kind is of very, venom right i would say tom hardy nick cages it up okay it's very weird and eccentric and it's not clear why <laughs> so i love it go go see that and go watch kim's convenience oh there's another October thing that I forgot to mention. Um, it's not like again like Venom levels of like sure. It's it's not a yeah. great movie, but it's like super entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the Belco Experiment, and Sounds it's familiar. yeah. It's so I don't yeah. It didn't get a lot of traction because I don't mm-hmm. remember it ever coming out. But it's got a ton of famous people in it, hmm. and it was written by James Gunn. So okay. yeah, the Could premise is some people are working at a business down south of the border and suddenly the building goes on lockdown and they're told over loudspeakers that oh, they have I to kill I've a certain a number of people um I did see a trailer in order to survive and that if they don't kill the certain number of their coworkers then they all die and oh yeah so anyway cool. it's it's it was very entertaining I was going to say, I don't know when, when this, I don't know when this episode's going to come out. As soon as I can get it out there. So it is not quite Halloween when we're recording this. And although it is not at all a new movie, I believe it's still on Netflix. Watch The Train to Busan. That's a very cool, scary movie. I believe it's a Korean horror movie. It is about, there's a zombie outbreak and it follows a group of people who are riding the train to a city when there's a zombie outbreak and the zombies get on the train. And it just kind of follows them as they're trying to get to where they're going 
while the train's getting more and more dangerous. It's really fun. I feel like I would have brought this up last October, but if you haven't seen It Follows, oh, um, yeah. definitely check out It Follows. Heck yeah. Um, and then also in the vein of scary movies that are excellent, um, mm-hmm. check out The Black Coat's Daughter. Should be on Amazon oh, Prime. Oh, yeah. That was like an Amazon original. And it's really, really good. It's like genuinely scary. Well, we spent a whole season watching horror movies. <laughs> and probably my favorite one was what? Uh, two favorites from that season. One I don't know which we one did, my favorite one is. One we didn't watch for the show. I watched it incidental well, I guess to, our, to like our second episode. We did Frankenstein. We mm-hmm. did a couple of Frankensteins. That was not good. No, no, no. It wasn't. <laughs> but in between watching the Frankensteins we watched for that episode, I watched a Frankenstein made in England in the 70s. Mm. And that movie was great. Mm. Uh, it was beautiful. It had fantastic costumes. It was really melodramatic. A bunch of weird stuff happened. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> that was one of them. But my favorite my favorite one from that season was... I'm wondering if we're thinking the same one. Alice Drum Sweet Alice. Yeah, Alice Sweet Alice. Ooh. Which I believe is free on Amazon Prime. All right. Also from the 70s. It was either 70s, 80s time frame yeah okay. that's and the one it is i the always only recommend movie that the director made he did not make any other movies than did he go crazy and he's not a director that's <laughs> no. why no he wasn't a director he wasn't even really a filmmaker <laughs> and he made this movie and it was great okay it's free on amazon prime it is the one i always recommend to people it is a similar vibe as to something like halloween or friday okay. the 13th nobody's seen it and it's just as good as any of those movies it just never made a splash that's I think it's better than than, than some yeah, at least yeah, from the cinematography but I it's was beautiful. fascinated by the by the cinematography in that movie. It's wild. You should see it. It's mm. really exciting and they and it's got that like weird 70s horror vibe that they don't it's hard to make nowadays. I think we mentioned a character from that when we watched when we watched Advise and Consent, we mentioned a character that appears in Alice Sweet Alice. The guy with the the guy the pedophile Oh yeah, we did the sweaty, sweaty pedophile with all the cats and in all his... the cats. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good um, movie. That's a very it's scary and surprising and, and weird. yeah, and weird. You have no idea what's going to happen because it's just not. It's a movie made by somebody who's never made a movie before. So there's some structural stuff that's yeah. pretty wild. Okay. The other good one is Get Out. That was the other. Yeah, Get Out was a great movie. But ever, yeah, everybody knows that already. Watch scary movies. Yeah. <laughs> okay, those are all my plugs. Now we can talk about the drink. Oh, well, let's talk about... Do we talk about the drink first mm-hmm. or the movies? Oh, you're right. Do the drink, do the first. drink first. So I I procrastinated a little bit with this <laughs> drink because I had two movies to work with. 1971, a documentary about some burglars stealing FBI files. I don't see a drink in that. And a movie made in 1971. And so I focused on the year 1971 yeah, that eventually right. when I got there. And I started looking at cocktails from 1971 and what does 1971 look like and, you know, what do people yeah. associate with 1971? And I eventually decided to make a drink that had, like, 1971 color palette. And I think you succeeded yeah. in that it was ugly. Yeah, it was very ugly. <laughs> the colors were ugly. I mean, the individual garish. components were pretty. No, it was it's a just... pretty drink, but it was, like... You know, the, garish. the colors were not, you wouldn't see these colors. You could no. see, if you went into somebody's house that was decorated. Yes. 1971 oh, yeah, I love style, you would see these colors. Green there. carpet, red uh, sort of wallpaper. A gold, brown. There's some gold in there and there's yeah. a dark brown in there and it's sort of an avocado green. It reminds and a me. weird red color. It reminds me of this red. house when we moved in with the weird wallpaper and stuff. And the pink and the carpeting in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I wanted those color palette, but I didn't know exactly how I was going to do that. So I was thinking about a layered drink. And then I started looking into what the cocktails, cocktails from the 70s mm-hmm. were. And Harvey Wallbanger kept coming up. So apparently Harvey Wallbanger... Well, okay, so one thing, I ordered a book from Amazon. It is the... Oh, it's awesome. No, not that one. Oh, no, it's not the no, first one. No, another one. No, the first okay. one I got was the Playboy Bartender's Guide from <laughs> 1971, which has just drink after drink. It's really kind of a boring book, actually, but it has <laughs> a bunch of cocktails in it that would have been around at that mm-hmm. time. And then little drawings of bunnies, you know, little drawings Playboy of bunnies. Playboy bunnies with no, you know, with their boobs hanging out. Um, cocktails it's not even as good so it, in a previous episode on my blog post i talked about a book that i've had in my life my whole life my parents had this book it's the funny bar book and it's from 1956 mm-hmm. or something and it at least has it has like lady boobs but it also has <laughs> weird funny puns and jokes at some least. of these were a cool time <laughs> these were the, that was the 50s I oh well, 50s. that's surprising <laughs> but i like that you call them lady boobs <laughs> lady boobs <laughs> There's this one, uh, there's this one little cartoon where, like, it's apparently it's a husband who's discovering his mm-hmm. wife has been messing around with some guy in the another room, man. and so you can see the impression of her boobs in his jacket because <laughs> apparently they've been pressed together, and that's the cartoon. And the, the guy says to the husband, "Your wife is very interesting," or something like that. I mean, that's the quality of humor. Uh, yeah, very funny bar book. So that's a funny bar book. The 1971 bartender's guide from Playboy is just mm-hmm. kind of blah. It's just kind of blah. Yeah, but it does have lots of little nude drawings in it. That, right. That's kind of funny in itself. Yeah. honestly. 1971 nude drawings of bunnies. It's not funny, actually. It's really bad. But, <laughs> yeah, but that, that was the time. Weird. Yeah, it's different. Uh, in fact, the photo on the front cover of that book is a man pouring it. There are two people, a man and a woman whose faces are very close together. And he's like middle-aged and she's like 18. Yeah, sure. And he's like pouring is he her a And she's super happy and he's, you know, whatever. It's gross. Yeah, it's a Cialis ad. <laughs> so that was one book that I got. Anyway, I ended up, I found that there, I found uh, three drinks I could, I could, legitimately linked to 1971 or to mm-hmm. the 70s the harvey wallbanger which yep. was i guess really prolific because it came up a lot i've heard of that so that must be prolific it still uh, exists and they're all orange juice based drinks too yeah. which was lucky uh jade punch which is a drink that was invented by a hotel bartender like a famous hotel famous mm. bartender just threw all this stuff together and made something called jade punch and that mm-hmm. was in that book you gave me of oh tropical the, drinks yeah I, that book's kind of fun and then the third one is the slow screw. <laughs> and the reason I was looking at that is because in the 80s, there was a whole slew of slow screw. Uh... <laughs> Which is orange juice and slow Insert jam. 80s joke here. Yeah, right. <laughs> slow screw um, derivatives. So there was the slow screw, which probably came about in the 70s, which is slow gin, regular gin, and orange juice. Mm-hmm. And then people started riffing on it, and you had the slow slow screw against the wall which was like a harvey wallbanger with the slow screw and what makes the, the harvey wallbanger vodka the galliano oh galliano okay. right so then there's also a slow screw between the sheets there's a there's a drink called between the sheets and you sort of mix yeah. that into a slow shoe slow screw slow screw against the oh, i already said against the ball anyway so there's a whole bunch of drinks named for sexy stuff and the 80s that was <laughs> slow gin that was really <laughs> typical of the 80s yeah sex on the beach <laughs> so the, the, the 80s rather. was just all derivative Slippery nipple. <laughs> Yeah. So all those anyway. drinks are bad, by the way. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You if en- you like sugar, they're excellent <laughs> drinks. Yeah. You enjoy a slippery nipple every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> or a buttery nipple. Buttery nipple, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh my God, anyway, two shot at 21. <laughs> so I found three drinks that were most likely originated in the... Oh, well, actually... Let's see, Jade Punch. Oh, I dropped one that was definitely created in the 70s, but it didn't fit in. Anyway, so what I ended up with is trying to layer a cocktail. It starts with Harvey Wallbanger because that's mm-hmm. the heaviest. Then I put in my own little thing, which is a mix of walnut liqueur and dry curacao. It's the mm. second layer. Is that the green one? That's the brown one. Brown one, okay. Uh, the green one is the Jade Punch, and I changed it a little bit because the original Jade Punch is... Vodka, orange juice, uh, I think triple sec, and creme de menthe, which sounds weird. Gross. Yeah, I'm just making a tongue out face. And like, because, oh. because we've got a Harvey Wallbanger with Galliano, which is one of those herbal sort of liqueurs. Yeah, it's kind of black licorice I thought I would sweet. use absinthe, absinthe instead because it would go better with a Galliano yeah. than creme de menthe. Makes sense to me. <laughs> so I sort of... Changed the jade punch a little bit, but I came up with a green drink, and mm-hmm. it is very avocado green. And then the slow uh, screw on top. Uh, the slow screw and the jade punch are about the same weight, so they tend to mix together. Mm. Uh, so I never really got. I had it kind of made like a paisley green yeah. and <laughs> mixture. Layered, but it, it falls apart. So it works the then. Paisley. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and then I wanted to make a disco ball to put on top. Which, and that worked. Yes, yeah. it did. It took a little work to figure out how to do that. Yeah, I bet. I was trying various things. I was trying like sugar, um, like jimmies and stuff, but they actually melt the ice, so mm. they didn't work out very well. But then I got some edible glitter and made a hollow sphere of a certain size and. Yeah, how did you really how nice. did you get that? Did you put you made a hollow sphere? You put the sparkles in, or you like shake it, or yep. how do you? Okay, yeah, I have to draw. You you make a hollow sphere. You empty the water out. You let it dry out in the freezer, and then you put the put the edible glitter in there. You have to shake it around. And to get it edible stuck. glitter is just glitter that's non toxic. <laughs> right, it's just doesn't plastic. Doesn't taste good or anything. Poop it out later. Yeah. So that goes on top, and it makes it's kind of an ugly drink, but it's also kind of I've never no, seen a drink cool. like that. Yeah, anymore. no, it looks good, and it tastes it tastes it's like festive. a greyhound. Honestly, it's a lot of orange juice, yeah. and various you know gins and vodkas and Galianos, and it just tastes like gin and orange juice to me, which I like. Which I would order at a bar. Yeah, yeah orange juice is the strongest component, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of orange juice drinks in the seventies. Apparently, <laughs> those are good. Those are easy and good. I don't know. It was not my favorite drink just because it really did just taste no, like orange juice. But it was very drink. pretty. Yeah, I'm pro glitter and things now. <laughs> yeah, I drink it all. <laughs> all right. Yeah, what are we watching next time? So for our next watch, it's our last watch from the 70s. A lot of uh, 70s. Yes. For reasons. There was... Uh, <laughs> Good I, movies from the 70s? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I really wanted to watch the more modern movie, which is the Chicago 10. Now, okay. in... In history, they're actually the Chicago 7, mm-hmm. but in the movie The Chicago 10, which is a documentary, uh, they include the lawyers for The Chicago 7. I'm rolling my eyes. Why? I don't know why. Okay. But they include the lawyers. Okay. So it's called Chicago 10. It is a mixture of celebrities whose names you know, like... Um, Tom Hardy. No. <laughs> the Hulk. What's that guy's name? <laughs> Uh, Eric Bana, Sam Worthington, no, the newer Hulk, Mark Ruffalo, Mark yes. Ruffalo, <laughs> uh, Mark Ruffalo level celebrities. Um, so there's some animation where and with celebrities reading transcripts from the trial and also, yes. you know, actual video of the trial. Uh, one of the quotes from our 
from our intro. intro comes from that movie and it's the one where abby hoffman is saying something about screw the screw the city for a million bucks that sounds great to me or something like that okay so that's one of the movies we're gonna watch i can't remember if it won an academy award i think it might have okay uh, the other one we're watching definitely won an Academy Award. It was the best documentary, uh, 1974, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the name of that movie is Hearts and Minds, which is why I was saying gotcha. that sort of yep. tied in with, sorry, Karamo's um, focus on Hearts and Minds. And it is about, it's about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. The Vietnam War is going on at the time that the documentary was made. Mm. Uh, this, the title refers to how Johnson thought if he could just win the Hearts and Minds of the American people in favor of this war, I believe I'm. I believe this is it. That sounds right. Then he would win. He could win it. Mm. Hmm. And he did, right? Yeah. Yeah, that worked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, I think he quit. <laughs> oh, that works. He too. quit, and then we got Nixon. Gotcha. All right. Upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Upgrade from Johnson. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, all right. I'm excited. I'll probably watch Full Metal Jacket too because I have it. In preparation. Get some just Vietnam watch background. all the Vietnam movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. I like all those movies for the most part. Well, I guess that's all we got. Well, huh? here's like, do you, you know who the Chicago 7 are, right? I think so. So remember that movie, Medium Cool, mm-hmm. when we watched that in 1968? Yeah. Well, some of the people that were there saying they were going to put LSD in the water mm-hmm. and incite riots mm-hmm. and whatnot, that, that's the Chicago 7. People who were, basically people who were arrested... And not sent to Punishment Park, but if there'd been a Punishment Park, they would have been gotcha. for inciting that the riots that occurred in 1968. I had to pause because I was like, Chicago 7, Seattle 7. No. <laughs> oh, no. Are you thinking about the... the Big Lebowski. The, oh, is that what you're thinking about? <laughs> I was thinking about the uh, Central Park 5. Central Park 5. There's a lot of numbers, peoples. Well, the, the character of the Big Lebowski is supposed to be one of the Seattle 7, I think. The Port Huron Statement. Does that mean anything to you? That no. sounds familiar. It's a phrase that I may have heard. The Port Huron Statement was written in 1962 as a founding manifesto of the Students for a Democratic Society. Oh, yeah. A the left-leaning students... political activism organization. Right. The Students for a Democratic Society were the people that supported the um, anti-war candidate for 1968. And they a lot of the weathermen came out of that group. Uh, students for a Democratic yeah, Society were nonviolent, but when things weren't didn't you know progress... Some of them became a little more radical. Wait, but was there a Seattle 7? I'm all sorts yes. of confused on this. So let's see. Uh, the dude also associates himself with the Seattle 7. I'm reading this from mentalfloss.com. <laughs> and the quote is, that was me and uh, six other guys. Another very real piece of the Vietnam era. The Seattle well, 7 not- were the most famous members of the Seattle Liberation Front, an anti-war organization formed in Seattle just as the SDS was breaking apart. Huh. The reason that the dude mentions the Seattle 7 is because one of the members was a man named Jeff Dowd. Dowd later moved to L.A. where he became a film producer and close friend of Joel and Ethan Cohen, the writer-director team behind The Big Lebowski. He, the Dowd is credited with being the inspiration for the character of the dude. Huh. Well, all right. So there you go. <laughs> so That's there's... how The Big Lebowski ties into all this. Okay. <laughs> there's your movie, your movie trivia. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. See ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Welcome right. to the Roller Coaster of Emotion podcast. Yeah. Things got a little better towards the end. Yeah. Not, the, not the drink might have kicked as, as soon as we leave this room, it's all going to go crashing yeah. down. Yeah. We'll have to think of a movie to watch or something. Well, we are. Thing. We have a movie on deck called The Horrible Doctor Fibes, I believe. <laughs> Maggie wants to watch it super bad. What? It's also from the 70s, and it's a oh. horror movie starring Vincent Price. 
Well, I do like Vincent Price. I was going to say we should watch Cabin in the Woods because that's what I watch I just rewatched that. I watch Yay! it every Halloween and it's my favorite. Makes me so happy. <laughs> but maybe watch The Horrible Doctor Fives. <laughs> <laughs> Find out next episode. All right. Bye, everybody. Well, Bye. Maybe not next episode. Not if I do them out of order. Oh, right. Yeah. In either the next episode In or one the of next, the next, next episode. I could, maybe I'll try to release them at the same time. I just want to get this one out as quick as possible. Right. <laughs> Spooky Halloween episode. I'm going to do as best I can. Okay. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Bye. Well, Senator, let me follow up by asking, do you think that the CIA and military intelligence agencies and the FBI have used the emergency provisions, both in law and by emergency agency, the uh, Federal Preparedness Agency it's called now, to, to have contingency plans which threaten the liberty of American citizens? Mr. Rowan, in due course, the committee will pass judgment on those questions. I'm not going to pre-guess the committee or prematurely attempt to pass judgment on this program. But let me tell you this. In the need to develop a capacity to know what potential enemies are doing, the United States government has perfected a technological capability that enables us to monitor the messages that go through the air. Uh, these messages uh, are between ships at sea. They could be between units, uh, military units in the field. We have a very extensive capability of intercepting messages wherever they may be in the airwaves. Now, that is necessary and important to the United States as we look abroad at enemies or potential enemies, we must know. At the same time, that capability at any time could be turned around on the American people. And no American would have any privacy left, such as the capability to monitor everything, telephone conversations, telegrams, it doesn't matter. There would be no place to hide if this government ever became a tyranny if a dictator ever took charge in this country, the technological capacity that the intelligence community has given the government could enable it to impose total tyranny. And there would be no way to fight back because the most careful effort to combine together in resistance to the government, no matter how privately it was done, is within the reach of the government to know. Such is the capability of this technology. Now, why is this investigation important? I'll tell you why. Because I don't want to see this country ever go across the bridge. I know the capacity that is there to make tyranny total in America. And we must see to it that this agency and all agencies that possess this technology operate within the law and under proper supervision, so that we never cross over that abyss. There, that's the abyss from which there is no return.